0: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. NMLS number 65084. Equal housing lenders. Woo! The five-star reviews are in, and it's confirmed. SaveWithConrad.com can save you thousands. Jimmy E. writes that we saved his family more than $1,000 a month. James S. says we saved his family more than $1,200 a month. But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now at SaveWithConrad.com. But if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, or even worse, if you're in a 30-year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, but a matter of how much at (laughs) SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is AdFreeShows shows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts, starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts, like Click This with Kevin Nash. Gentleman Villain with William Regal. Oh, You Didn't Know with Brian James and others. But yes, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early, with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that whopper? Adpreeshows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like current five back, title chase, and strictly business. And I don't know why this is a thing, but there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at AdFreeShows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered that's AdFreeShows.com is the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now, AdFreeShows.com. Glad you did.
1: Woo wings. A virtual
2: restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Rick Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell him, Nate! Woo-wings! Legendary flavors! World Championship Wings! Woo!
1: Woo-wings! Yeah! Woo-woo!
3: Candy Liquor, your boy, Cassio, and welcome back to another edition, of Ask Eric Anything edition of eighty-three weeks with Mister Eric Bischoff. Mister Bischoff, absolute honor to be with you today.
2: It is my pleasure. You always make me smile, even though we can't be doing this in the same room. The fact that I'm able to share my morning digitally with Cassio is <laughs> making my Sunday mornings. Thank you very much, buddy. And by the way, did you say? Candy liquors or kitty liquors? No,
3: candy, candy. We'll candy? Wait. Yeah, kitty liquors. We'll wait for the glitch you had. Right now, candy liquors. Oh, okay. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a song that I brought up by uh, Marvin Cease, an old R&B song called Hey Girl, I Want to Be Your Candy Licker. And uh, he talks all about, I don't know if you've heard the phrase Jody. When you're out of town, Jody is with your lady. Have you ever heard that? No an old saying, if uh, you're out of town, maybe military, maybe wrestling, maybe whatever, you're out of town, Jody could be at home with your lady. And uh, he's talking about how he wants to be your candy liquor while your man's out of town. Mm. He wants to be that guy.
2: He wants to get shot. That's what he and wants he, to do. He
3: did about 10 <laughs> minutes on it, too, of telling the ladies about all that he would uh, do. But we are here. I am not taking over 83 weeks. I'm just filling in because the big man... Conrad Thompson, let's just be up front with everybody. Mr. Bischoff, he's in Cancun right now. He's left us. And I, I'm i not sure why he's in Cancun. He said he was not on vacation. Hmm. What do you know about it? Well, I don't
2: know right. anything. But I suspect several things. And let's just talk about it. Okay. Why would Conrad... Head down to Cancun. So shortly after, not, you know, Nashville, end of July, boom, right on, right on to Top Guy weekend, which is, you know, that's a lot of work, you know, a lot of uh, work, little, ton of work. And then as soon as he gets home, what's he do? He jumps on a plane and goes to Cancun by mm-hmm. himself, not with Megan. All right. He's flying solo to Mexico to hook up with <gasps> the head of AAA wrestling. Is that confirmed? You, Do you know that? I, I don't know. I Look, I'm just looking. I'm, I'm, I was out to dinner with Dorian and Conrad yeah. and Jeff Jarrett, right? And then there was some interesting conversation going on. And then all of a sudden, I find out that uh, I'm going to be doing this podcast with you because mm-hmm. Mr. Thompson's down uh, in, in Cancun with Dorian from AAA. And I'm thinking... Now, I don't know anything, but I can connect dots like a motherfucker. (laughs) And there's some dots there to connect, my friend. So I don't know what's going on.
3: I'm going to throw a dot to the picture because I don't know why, but he texted me the link to Fight TV on how to watch Triple-A, Triple-Mania, coming up October 15th, pay-per-view at Fight TV, where there's a big match. I don't know why he sent me that. I guess he just wants me to see... Big matches like Pentagon and Viano. Viano, which one? Which
0: what one? Do you mean?
1: There's
3: a pile of them. There's a I, <laughs> Do we have
2: Viano four or five or nine? I don't remember, but they came with numbers.
3: Viano four. This is the Viano four, which is also my favorite dinner to order when I get Mexican food. The Viano <laughs> number four. It's also my favorite. but seriously. I'm going to try
2: that next time I go into Taco <laughs> Bell or Taco John's because they always – it drives me crazy, especially Taco Bell. They, like, invent Mexican food yes. names for shit that doesn't exist in Mexico. And I always wonder what Mexicans think when they come to the United States and they go to a Mexican restaurant and they see shit up on, them, on the item board and none of it makes any sense to them. <laughs> They've never heard of that shit. It's the same ingredients, just folded a different one. Oh, my goodness. It's We're like – it, have you ever dessert. been – Have you ever been to Japan? I have not. It's funny because when you go to Japan, the Japanese, they're an interesting culture because they love so much about the West, culturally, the music, fashion, all that kind of stuff. Um, But they're very, very nationalistic. I mean, Japanese are, it's almost a closed society, really. Mm -hmm. But when you go over there, first of all, you can't read a stop sign. You can't read shit because it's all in Japanese, right? (laughs) Right. But you're driving around and
1: all of a sudden you'll see hotel sunblock. What the fuck? Hotel sunblock? Sunblock.
2: Or, you know, hotel rising box. I mean, you just see these incongruent English words phrased together and turned into a brand. So because they love anything with an American brand on it, they just don't like anything outside of Japan. So they just Japanese, they make it, they make it their own. And you see these weird words, a combination of words that are English words, but they mean fucking nothing in context and in Japan, the way they're used. And it's the same thing that we we do to Mexican food items. We make up shit that doesn't really exist in Mexico. And they must feel the same way that I do, or you just did when, you know, you mentioned something that just doesn't make any sense.
3: You should, you got a great deal. All 83 Weeks listeners should go this week. Go to their local Mexican place, order Viano number four, and yeah. see how what comes out. Yeah, and let us know.
2: Go to eBischoff and let us know. Take pictures. Maybe, <laughs> interview the, maybe interview your server and say, hey, do you mind if I put you on camera while I request this
3: next food item and, and just request it and see what we get? Wouldn't it be great if the server knew who he was from WCW? I was just that thinking that, the same best. thing.
2: That would be the best. That would be They're
3: going to be pumped over Triple Mania. On October 15th, they're, they're going to be pumped. Whoever your local Mexican restaurant, is, not the Taco Bell people, the actual, when you go to the actual place, they're going to be pumped. So, and I, like I said, your boy Viano versus Pentagon, serious business, Mask versus mask, Eric, you know how much that is a serious proposition. Yeah. In, I, found out, I found out the
2: hard way. I took that mask thing a little lightly back in <laughs> WCW and, and I got a, I got a, I get a first-class education when it comes to how serious the mask is to the people that wear them in, in Mexico and the heritage and the legacy and the tradition. And I mean, it's a big deal. I don't want to make light of it. It's, it's a big deal. So I'm, I'm going to look, I'm going to, I'm going to watch that event. October yep, 15th. Lucha Libre,
3: it. AAA worldwide, triple mania, chapter three, Mexico city, fight TV, October 15th. I'm not sure why Conrad's in Cancun and send me that link. And Why he's not here today? But you, like Mr. Bischoff said, put the dots together yourself.
2: Before you know it, he'll be doing mortgages in Mexico.
3: <laughs> well, today, while me and you are here, we are. It's not only us; it's the 83 weeks listeners and viewers. Like we just chatted, it is a ask Eric anything. We're going to get to their questions. You're going to answer as many as you can for us, brother. Are you ready?
2: I'm. I'm so ready. I am it's, sober. By the way, I'm a little hungover, so. If I'm a little slow on the draw, that's why high five, high five, high five, <laughs> all the,
3: right, Our son,
2: our, our son, Garrett, and his wife, Mary Jane, and our grandson, Waylon James, along Come with on. our daughter, Montana, are all here for the last week or so, and we've just been having a blast eating and drinking and cooking and all that good stuff, so I'm a little slow on the draw this morning. I apologize. Pictures on
3: social media were amazing. Just a great-looking family, man, and- Ironically, the only times I've hung out with Garrett, I've been been hung over the next day too. So, Garrett has that
2: effect. He likes (laughs) to have fun. He likes to have fun.
0: (laughs) Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a -a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PainterLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off. And free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details.
3: All right, let's get to the questions. Josh Haney wants to know, hashtag ask Eric. You addressed this, by the way, before we get to this. What happened in the professional wrestling world while we were in Chicago for top guy weekend chaos has now ensued. We'll get to a little bit of that. Oh yeah. There's a
2: lot to talk about. Yes.
3: All right. So Josh says, uh, you addressed it briefly, uh, after 83 weeks, the other night, what are your thoughts on these media scrums? It looks like it hurts the product rather than add substance to the story. What do you think, Eric?
2: I think they're fucking stupid. I, it, it serves absolutely no purpose, you know. When you uh, first of all, I hate the word scrum. It's right up there with taint. You know, it's just like a, it's one of those words that just makes you go
3: ooh. I've had scrum on my taint. Before.
2: <laughs> you need a brush to wash it off. Sometimes if you leave it there too long, it starts getting it starts growing, it gets attached.
3: <laughs> Don't want scrum on the ground. Gotta go to a scrum network. surgeon and have it removed. <laughs> scrum surgeon. You're going to get a scrumoscopy. <laughs> Media scrum. What a weird word that is. Now,
2: that no, But when you think about it. you know, Professional wrestling, as we all know, is a scripted form of entertainment. Can you imagine the producers of... You insert the name of a scripted show here and have a press conference at the end of every episode talking about the production of that episode, I mean, it's stupid. It's stupid. You can't really serve the audience. You can't honestly address the real is first of all, you, you attract people that are afraid to ask hard questions. You know, for example, has anybody asked Tony Khan yet? Tony, you keep talking about, for example, a week or two ago, of
1: course well, a hundred million dollars. Great. What'd you, what, what's your profit margin? What, what What's your EBITDA? What is that? It doesn't matter how much money you gross, how much money you make. Right? Little questions like that.
2: Um, so what you get is you get a bunch of fanboys, for the most part, that are very friendly to your organization. Not all of them, by the way. There's some, you know, D'Angelo Brothers, um, You know, I've become a fan of Wade Keller over the years because he's playing his shit straight. Don't get me wrong. There are some legitimate guys covering wrestling uh, for the various websites and news sites, which is, and I use them. I have respect for the people, some of the people that do them, but there's some of them there that I don't. Dave Meltzer, for example, is got his lips, you know, permanently attached to Tony Khan's ass. So he's not going to ask the kind of questions that people really want to hear. He's going to ask setup questions. He's going to ask questions that sets Tony or whoever, whoever's up there with him, set them up to advance whatever crap they want to advance. Nobody's asking any real hard questions there because they don't want to get blackballed, right? They don't want to yeah. be the wrestling internet news reporter that's not allowed to come to the meeting. So everybody dances around the well. That's a bullshit. It's not real. So if it's not advancing your story, which clearly the the few that I've seen don't, if they're not enhancing your character, which clearly, you know, did you see the one where Tony Khan went off because of a comment that I made when I said, by the way, I came out and said CM Punk is going to be one of the ver- worst investments Tony Khan has ever made, or something to that effect, and I was just Crucified what? for making that what? statement. Everybody, including Conrad, shaking their heads. Going, yeah, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about, Muckerfathers. <laughs> Take a look around. When are you going to start listening? <laughs> Come on. But that media scrum where Tony Khan went off and he was dropping more F-bombs than we do on this show. He's the CEO and head booker and whatever else, whatever other titles he has. He made himself look like a complete jackass. Why would he think that doing another one would be a good idea? He can't handle it. He can't handle the, the, the pressure. And he just doesn't come off well. So I think the whole idea is a bad idea. We're seeing evidence of it, the last two that I've seen anyway. Just fold it up, put it away. Don't ever bring it out of the closet again. It's a fucking worthless effort, and it makes you look like a joke.
1: Wouldn't That's you, how I feel.
3: would you here and I don't want to speak for you, so I'll let you answer. This is the ask Eric, but in my opinion, would you have maybe I should just leave it open end. how would you have handled if Punk started going into business for himself like that? Would I do mean, I know. Snatch that mic from him so fucking fast. That's what I thought. I thought, hey guys, clear you know, first time he pops off, go, guys, it's been a great time. We got a lot to get to. Let's wrap this up. Like somehow we got to get out of there. Not just let him rant. Oh, and, and, and if you go back and watch, and I, I actually,
2: I know I sound like I'm coming down hard on Tony, and I, and I guess in a way I am, because this is self-inflicted. I mean, this, everything that Tony's been going through now for the last, and by the way, this isn't just, it didn't just happen, you know, a week ago, a week and a half ago. This, is, this has been building. Right. right? Cody Rhodes leaves. Why would Cody Rhodes leave? One of the guys that was instrumental in creating AEW with a great position and I'm sure a lot of money. He was making a great deal of money. Why would he leave? He left for a good reason. And now we're seeing this dysfunction with punk and, and Omega and, and, and whatever those two other guys' names are, Um Nick and Matt Jackson, what are they called? The elite, whatever the they are.
3: Young, yeah. Yeah. the young. I mean, it's
2: guy. a fucking mess. So this has been building for a long time. Tony's created this problem. He needs a leader, but I would have snatched that mic from him. Said, thank you very much, Bill. Obviously you're not having a great night. Thanks for your time. Any other questions out there and just taking the mic away from him.
3: Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought about watching it. You know, you, you, I think every time you see clips, you, you think about something else about happening there. And I, and I thought, wait, if I'm in Tony's spot, how do I, how do I stop this? I'm in charge. I'm taking the mic. The mic's done. You know you what, though, now that I say mark. that,
2: I'm kind of a hypocrite.
3: I mean, right. I, I, I recognize my own flaws.
2: I really do. I'm I'm pretty self aware. I didn't take the mic away from the fucking warrior when he went 18 <laughs> minutes over in his promo and it was babbling on live TV. We we he babbled through a commercial segment, like. Five minutes of commercial time. He just went, just went right over the top of it. So here I am saying, I would have taken the mic away from a wolf. I certainly didn't do it when I had the opportunity with warrior. So maybe I should should check myself a a little bit.
3: You should have had warrior in a, in a media scrum that way. It's different. Can you
2: imagine that? Oh my God. That would have been classic. That would be a cult classic to this day.
3: Let's go to uh, the next one. Minnesota Joe. He says, Eric, what do you think of an independent company running and selling out a show at Mall of America?
2: I saw some of the pictures on social media this weekend, and I think they reached out to me and asked me, uh, I think it was them, asked me if I could participate. And unfortunately, because I knew my kids were coming to town, there was no way that I could, but I was kind of jealous that I couldn't be there.
1: This I mean, GC I was envious.
2: I was looking, and they had a nice looking setup. And I really do. I'm going to talk to Conrad and see if he can do some, bring some of his Conrad Thompson pixie dust, mm-hmm. and sprinkle some pixie dust on that idea, and maybe do it next year. When was that? When, when did we launch that?
3: 95. How many years ago was 1995? I have to do. I have to do it on my 2005, 15. five, fifteen. You're at seventeen now. Next will be eighteen. You're, you're going oh, on twenty be, years. No, it's got to be 20, more than that.
2: Two, two,
3: two. I'll oh, no, 20, 20,
2: 27, 27, 27, not
3: 17.
2: <laughs> so next year will be the 28th year. That's kind of an odd, you know, anniversary to celebrate the 28th year of anything, but hell, maybe next year we'll, we'll talk Conrad into having an event in Minnesota and we'll do it at the mall of America and we'll have a blast. And I'll take you guys all out to the bars. I used to hang out at and got thrown out of in 86 from when I was younger. <laughs> Yeah, well, we play Family
3: weekend. Feud. Like we did a talk. Well,
2: that Family Feud was a hoot. How
3: fun was that? I had. I didn't want it to end. Everyone was great. So I, I had the wives. I, me and Lori were side by side competing against you. Such it was little. so. And I looked over a couple
2: times, and you guys were. I mean, I, I she was having so much fun. I was <laughs> laughing at you, having fun. I mean, that was just a riot. But, it,
3: well, you know, it's one of those where when it started, where we're all having. We're all just loosey goosey. And then, like a couple of questions in, you're like, hey man, we need to win this shit. Oh, Conrad was
2: on my right. Conrad, Conrad <laughs> took that shit seriously. Oh, Dude. it was serious. It, he was mad. I, I, I just had a gummy and a couple beers. I'm up <laughs> here for fun,
3: man. You're taking this, you're making this like it's a job. <laughs> yeah, he was serious. Once he got started, he was in.
0: All right. You, you brought it up earlier, uh, Eric, uh,
3: our buddy, let's see. Andy Dunn, believe? Oh no. no. Partay animal. Excuse me. <clears throat> At partay animal favorite place to visit in Japan and why? Uh, mm. Oh, that's a lot. That's a loaded question.
2: Yeah. Cause there's just no way I could pick one. I mean, it's impossible, but
3: I'm th- Like I told you, I've never been. What would you suggest? Hey, when you're there, hit these things. Hit a couple things. I, the, when,
2: I, when I would go there, we would stay at the uh, Keio Plaza. K-E-I-O Plaza. It's where most wrestlers that came over from the United States for a long, long time stayed. Very, very nice hotel. It's about a 15-minute walk from an area of Tokyo called Kabuksho. And Show is, how would I describe it? It's like, in, in in some respects, it's like New York used to be back in the 80s. It's a little grimy. It's a, it's not the beautiful. It's not like uh, Shinjuku, you know, which is where all the really, really expensive shopping areas are, where all the mm-hmm. really wealthy people go and, and shop and be seen and all that kind of stuff. This is the opposite of that. This is where a lot of Yakuza hang out. Um, it's, it's a little sketchy. Like people that live in Tokyo don't go to Kabukicho Show on the weekends. And okay. no, whoa. And if you tell them as an American, they'll say, Oh, where are you going? When are you going to visit? Oh, I'm going to Kabukicho. Show. Oh, oh, Show. Oh. It's, oh. it's a little, it's a little sketchy, but it's so cool because it's old. It's not been completely rebuilt and it doesn't look all modern. There are parts of it that are, but the reason I like it is there are so many little specialty restaurants, little one-offs, not chains, not part of a corporate thing, just these little family-owned restaurants and bars. There was one that uh, I remember, God, I don't remember what trip it was, but there was one in the Kabuk show. It was sunny. myself, and Mrs. B were out, and it was like midnight or something, one o'clock in the morning, and the bars were still all open. We would go into this little bar, and they only had four seats at the bar. And it was so narrow. Like if I was sitting on one end and you were sitting on the other, and I wanted to come around and talk to you, I had to go out one door and come in another <laughs> to get to the end of the bar. That's how small it was. And we went in and the the bartender was this older lady. She had to be in. Now this was, I was in my forties. She had to be in her sixties and she just wanted me like mm. she, she wanted to, bang me right at that little bar. I had never seen anything like it. She was, and now she didn't speak English. Right. So everything was pantomime, which, and then when you're drunk and you're with your wife and it was just a show, it was just a, I had so much fun, but I like it because when I go to places like that, I feel like I'm really getting a real look at the culture. When I go to tourist places that are designed for tourists and, populated by tourists and populated by the people that are trying to make money off tourists. I don't really feel like that's real, really Japan. I like to go into the countryside or into the seedier parts of town, because that's when you get to know people.
3: I was, I was watching a, uh, it escapes me now, but it's a Netflix show on late night eats in different places around the world. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the fascinating parts. They had a uh, Japan episode and they were showing these people, like you said, Hey, my family's on this for a hundred years. We've had the same bar. It's not huge. Like you said, there's a horseshoe bar around it. Everybody's there. It's community. And everybody that went there was all saying, I love coming here because this is the culture. This is, it's real. I know what I'm getting into. It's not just a, like you said, tourist money trap. It's, Hey, we're, it, we are enjoying what Japan has to offer.
2: And what's really fun as you get, and especially in Japan, because very, Very few Japanese speak English, Um, especially in an an area like that. That's not generally a tourist area, but you can, you'd be amazed at the level of communication. I don't want to say conversation, but the level of communication you can have with people who are local when you're just sitting around having a couple of beers, you figure (laughs) out a way to communicate whatever is on your mind. And just like that lady did at the bar, (laughs) (laughs) but that was a little extreme. But I love doing that, man. I, I, that's what I really dig. And I, same thing, like when we travel, you know, here in the States, I rarely go to the most popular place in town. I want to go to a little greasy dive bar, and I want to get to know people. I that's get to the city. The market. That's
3: I have, whatever city you're in.
2: Yeah, I, I do that. Mm-hmm. I love that.
3: Let's go to Andy Dunn. Andy Dunn, a uh, big question here, uh, very big. How different do you think the NWO would have been if Hogan was not the third guy? Oh, I
2: think it still would have been if it would have been staying. I think people would look back and go, wow, that was really cool. That was a great story. That was a great angle because because of the way Scott and Kevin came in and the mystery and, you know, there hadn't been a mystery really in wrestling in a long time by that point. So I think the fact that, you know, people were asking the question, who's the third man, you know, that that in itself made it. Good angle or good storyline, I think, better way to say it. But it certainly wouldn't have had the impact. Nothing right. against Sting's a phenomenal performer, nothing but respect for him. But Hogan turning heel, nothing, no one could have made a bigger impact in that moment than Hulk Hogan. And that's why we're still talking about it today.
3: Totally agree. 100%. I mean, I, I remember as a fan, watching then and of course rumor was sting was a possibility or who who, you know everybody's talking who's the third guy (laughs) hogan made that that was that made that a bigger story than it already was was it is hogan what in the world is happening right now
2: yeah and nobody suspected
3: it nobody nobody we tossed a thousand names around at the house watching the tv I mean, maybe Hogan Mar- uh, mentioned, but it wasn't a serious. It was like, what? Is- no, it
2: wasn't serious. It's not
3: Hogan. No. You, what are you, an idiot? It's not Hogan.
2: And I'll tell you the truth, Cassio. You and I have never talked about this, but I wasn't sure until he got to the building and we had a conversation. And I kept him away from the building. He didn't get there until like about 630 in the evening. The sh- we'd already started. I think we'd already started our preliminary matches or whatever. And he arrived. And I wasn't positive until he showed up to the building and came back to my office and I made eye contact with him. At that point, I knew, okay, he's going to stick with the plan. But he was so, I don't want to say, he he was committed. But it would not have surprised me if he would have got to the building and said, you know, brother, I've been thinking about it. It's just not going to work. right, And I, I was prepared for that. I was so I was so unconvinced that he was gonna follow through that I had Sting standing by just in case. But man, once I made eye contact with him and he said, Okay, brother, let's do this, or something to that effect. Well he smoked. This is gonna be big.
3: Did you tell him to show up light or was that just
2: natural or no, I didn't want him to come to the building until the show got started because I didn't want anybody to see him the minute Hulk Hogan, cause we hadn't seen Hulk. Oh, he put off doing yeah. a movie. He hadn't done any TV for us. Typically when Hulk would do a pay-per-view, he would do three or four weeks of television leading up to that pay-per-view to help set up the story. He didn't do that. Right. Cause that would have tipped the hat. So, yeah. um, no, I didn't want him to show up until after the show got started because I knew that way. Most of the people production people and everybody else, but there were, you know, there were some non WCW people backstage in that arena and I just didn't want to run the risk of somebody going, Oh my gosh, it's gonna be Hulk Hogan. And granted the internet wasn't a thing back then, but dirt sheets were, you know, hotlines were, yeah. different forms of communication were. And I just didn't want it to leak. I wanted I wanted to hold on to the integrity of the surprise.
3: Closer to the vest the better. The whole thing. Yep. True. And that's true in life. Yeah it is.
2: Yes it Learned is that one the hard way too. Holy shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: BC, B2 Slick C. He says, was there ever an issue backstage or on TV that you didn't feel was a big deal at the time, but wish you would have taken it more seriously and possibly led to more issues later? This seems like we're hinting at what happened in the past couple of weeks at A-Dub, but was there ever an issue that came up like that for you? Not like that. I'm going to
2: be honest. You know, there were physical altercations. From time to time backstage. Um, one of the more infamous ones was Paul Orndorff and Vader. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave Paul a race. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: did wait, it, before or after the fight? After. <laughs> after. I didn't know if that caused the fight or it was a, okay, that's a good deal.
2: No. I mean, I I was on my way to the building. I won't spend too much time with this because I've told this story before in 83 weeks, but for your sake, I was on my way to the building. I was at a meeting in another another part of Atlanta. The show had already gotten started. Uh, Janie Engel, who is my assistant, uh, called me and she said, Eric, you know, and she was close to Paul. They were really good friends. And she said, Eric, I just want to let you know, before we get here, some things went down backstage and Paul Hornedorf beat up Vader. I went, huh? Say that again. (laughs) Because, yeah, they got into a fight and there were fists thrown, and and it's all over. Nope. Nobody got hurt. Everything's fine. But I just want you to know before you get here. She was really afraid I was going to fire Paul because she was very close friends with Paul. And I got there and I said, okay, tell me what happened. And I heard from a couple different people what happened. And I said, okay, Paul did the right thing. Vader was a bully. And he was, I mean, look, we've all, we all have our flaws and, and Vader was a, an amazing performer, could be one of the sweetest guys you've ever been around. You know, he had, there was like two Vaders, you know, one is just this incredibly powerful, intimidating in some ways, but just a sweet man. But he had his moments when he could be a real dick. Yeah. And when he got into that dick moment mentality, he was a bully. And I'd I'd seen it. I'd been around it. I wasn't ever a victim of it, but I'd seen him do it. So when I heard the story about what happened, you know, Paul Arneff thought for sure I was going to fire him, and I gave him called him into my office the next day. He thought he was going to get let go, and I gave him a raise. Incredible. Sometimes you just got to do the right thing. <laughs> And I know, I know I'm going to get so much heat for that because, oh my God, he's advocating violence. No wonder WCW went out of business. Oh, what kind of a manager was he? Oh my God. Look, you've got 60 or 80 guys on your roster in the case of AEW, 160 or 180 guys on your roster. They're making a living. You know, yes, it's, it's a work and guys are working together, but it's still very, very physical and it gets intense and your adrenaline, you know, sometimes gets a little too amped up and sometimes shit happens. I don't care if guys get in a fight. I really don't.
0: Do sometimes you divorce. just got to beat the shit out of each football. other. Get it out
2: of your system. Go get a beer and move on. The
0: I mean, fight is be-
2: the worst thing. The worst thing is I to me, I might as well just hit this head on right now. Cause if I don't, it's going to keep bothering me. The, to me, the worst part of what happened in that media circus was the level to which Phil Brooks, whatever his name is, Phil
1: went to to humiliate Tony Khan. He he, eviscerated him. First, he, he cut his balls off, made him look like a complete tool. And then, that, when
2: that wasn't enough, and he had more time to just ramble on, he he just—I think—he humiliated. Tony Khan. Now I've said some things about Tony. Other people have said some things about Tony that aren't flattering, but take <laughs> from him while I'm doing it, just sit next to a guy that you're paying millions of dollars to and have him trash your company, make you look like a complete fucking tool, which he did. Mm. Um, I, I find uh, it's not the fight. I wouldn't give two shits about the fight. The only thing I would have cared about the fight is who got the best shot. All right. That's it. Cause a fight backstage, as long as the guys are involved in it, decided, you know, it was voluntary. Nobody was getting mugged backstage. <laughs> it happens, man. I grew up in Detroit. I got to fight three times a day on my way to school at lunch. When Bobby Castelli would take my lunch money either him or Paul Donahue, like they take turns taking my lunch money every other day. One Mm. would get me and then I get beat up on my way home. And that was just life. That was just, I thought everybody did that. That's how you, that's what happens when you go to school. Fight's not a big deal,
1: but I think the way Phil humiliated Tony, that was unforgivable. Incredible. Uh, And I
2: never had anything like that happen to me. Now guys would say shit that would leak to the media because that's what a lot of guys did back then. They would leak things to the media to try to help execute their agenda or get a point across that they couldn't otherwise make that that should happen. And it bothered me, but I never had anything. Nobody ever sat next to me in a media scrum, just completely trashing my company and making me look like a complete asshole. That never happened.
3: Like we said earlier, you would have shut that down. That's time to cut the mic off and let's move on.
2: Yeah, or worse, depending on who it was. But, yeah.
3: <laughs> Francis Reyes says, was there any British talent you saw, Eric, while you were at TNA in the UK that you said we should go get?
2: No, because, and not because it wasn't great talent there, but I wasn't in that frame of mind. I wasn't hiring talent. I wasn't managing. I wasn't trying to build a TNA brand. I was simply doing the job that I was hired to do as an executive producer. Um, so I didn't go in there with a talent acquisition, you know, mindset. I was, really wasn't looking around to be honest. I, and, and that wasn't my job, but I knew Dixie was, Dixie was really serious about bringing over some Dixie Carter was very serious about bringing over more and more uh, talent from the UK because T, TNA's television in the UK was very strong and she wanted to build on that, but you I, I was just,
3: it wasn't, it wasn't my wheelhouse. All right, let's go to Broken Zombies uh, says, what were your first words to Vince McMahon when you met for the first time face-to-face? Could you walk us through your initial feelings during that first meeting?
1: I don't really remember it, if it was my first meeting with him or not. well, The first time I met Vince was back in
2: 1990, I believe, maybe 91, where I applied for a job there. They were looking for an announcer and, W, Vince McMahon and WWF flew me out and uh, I did my audition where I infamously was asked to interview a broom or sell a broom. Yeah. Sell me this broom.
1: Hey, pal. See that broom? Sell me that broom. That was <laughs> the first time I'd really met him, but it was very,
2: very brief. I wouldn't even really call it a meeting. Um, and then the next time I met him, I think, in person was about five minutes before we went out and I was sitting in the limo hiding because Vince didn't want anybody to see me. And I didn't want sure. anybody to see me. He wanted it to be a big surprise. Um, and he came back to my limo and, and jumped in and asked me how I was feeling and asked me if I was nervous. And I wasn't, I was excited. I wasn't nervous, but we chatted for
1: about five minutes. He said, how are you feeling, pal? I feel great, Vince. Nervous? No, not nervous at all. What do you mean you're not nervous at all? Goddamn. I said, Vince, I'm excited. That's not the same thing as nervous. I'm good. Huh. That was it. Shook my hand, <laughs> got
2: That's out. Next time, next time I saw him, it was in the entrance, and I, I shook his hand, you know, made a big deal out of that. He wanted to do that. He told me that. So when I oh, get out there, you know, give me a big hug. Cool. I gave him a big hug, and it was long. It was really long. <laughs> <laughs> and I whispered in his ear. This is sounding romantic, isn't it? Listen, I, I said, think Vince, you need a, a payoff here. I said, Vince, that feeling in your feet right now, is people rolling over in their graves. That's what that is. And that was it. That's all I remember. Then then it was on. Then it was game on. Then I went out there and forgot where the uh, hard camera was. I was (laughs) wandering around the middle of the ring. I cut a hell of a promo, but I was looking all over the fucking arena for that red light. I couldn't find that son of a bitch. You go back and watch it. There's guys with handhelds running all over the place trying to get a look at my face because I kept feeding them the back
3: of my head the whole night. Uh Jeff Tilbrook Jeff Tilbrook says, uh, what say you, MJF, great heel or the greatest heel? I can't wait. I
2: I'm not gonna give him greatest yet. He's there got a go. way to, he's got a ways to go, but brother, he is on his way.
3: Yeah, I mean he's early. He's early in his career. He's a kid. Yeah.
2: I've got boots in my house older than him. <laughs> I shit you not. I got a pair of 45 year old cowboy boots. I bought them when I was 22. They're <laughs> sitting in my living room as we speak.
1: He they're twice as old you as he is. you. Had-
2: I <laughs> think they're almost twice as old as MJF. They've got great
3: heels on them still, though. <laughs> See? Good point. Nice catch. Uh, here we go. This is one of my favorite times. Okay, look, let's talk about one of our proud sponsors, Eric. I know how important this is to you. It's time to tell everybody listening and watching about RecTech, an amazing company that offers wood pellet grills fueled by all-natural hardwood pellets along with other outdoor lifestyle products such as coolers, apparel, grill accessories, and more. And look, with grills ranging from $399 to $3,000, RecTech has grills for every lifestyle and every budget, with a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility, their factory direct pricing eliminates the middleman, and all grills ship free. Plus, all RecTech pellet grills are made with high-quality stainless steel and are built to last a lifetime. Eric, tell me about RecTech. Come on, man. Brother, I, I, I'm, I'm going to post some later on today. I'm gonna, I
2: Typically, I like to post whenever I cook on RecTech about once a month or so if I'm cooking for friends or family, I, I, I tape or I shoot it right for, I post it up on Twitter, Facebook or whatever. And I kind of walk people through the cook. I don't like doing an elaborate food channel kind of here's me cooking Mm -hmm. steaks. You know, I don't (laughs) do that shit, but I just, I kind of just take a shot, you know, and, and go let people follow me through the process. Now this weekend, this past weekend, I ordered half Wagyu, 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 whatever you want to call it, half Angus. Oh, um, ribeye steaks. Come on now, unbelievable! There's a place here in town. It's called Wyoming Legacy Meats. I know uh, the owner's a friend of mine, and they just started selling this wagyu Angus combination, and it it was so good. I'll, I'll I'll post some pictures, but the Rectech, The reason I was so excited about that. The opportunity to cook that particular steak is. First of all, I bought five of them. And they were like fifty-five bucks a piece, so I got yeah. two hundred pounds of steaks. All right, I do not want to mess them up. <laughs> okay. I want these steaks to all be right. as great as they have the potential to be. And I had a lot of confidence because with RecTech, I can control everything. I can control the internal meat temperature with a remote control.
3: Use the Wi-Fi just- controller.
2: Wi-Fi controller. Come on! You got a meat probe. You put it in meat, right? In my Wi-Fi control, I can go to my phone to my RecTech app, and I can it can tell me what the ambient temperature is inside of the grill, as well as tell me the internal temperature of the meat. And that's the key. If you don't get the internal temperature of the meat right, you're going to be disappointed. If you're either going to overcook it or undercook it, I could, I set my. I wanted it. To, I wanted to know the minute the internal temperature of these incredible steaks got to 114 degrees because at 114 degrees, I'm going to take them off, set them on the side and I'm going to crank the temperature up on the rec tech. I can do it on my phone, which is fucking most badass I can sit there on a the phone like this. Go, oh, Okay. Let's see. What is it? I want this to be 500 degrees. Boom. Hit a button now. And I'm in the house. I'm playing with way J Waylon. James, that's mm-hmm. how I got to way J I'm playing with way and I'm controlling my grill all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Got it up to 500 degrees. Then I take the steaks that I had previously cooked to 114. How did I know it was 114? Because my internal meat probe told me so. Come on. Thanks. Rectech took them off, seared them both sides for two minutes at yeah. about 500 degrees. And they turned out perfectly. Perfectly, And I'll post some pictures. I didn't complete the process because we got really busy with the baby and started having too much fun. And I just skipped part, but I'll post some of, them. but it was look, whether you're cooking $250 with a Wagyu steaks, or you're just making some burgers, you want to do it on the best grill you can. You want to be a grill God, go to rec tech. And by the way, there's a wrap. Oh man, they're really expensive. You hit it. You can find grills for Three hundred bucks. You can find them for three thousand bucks. The one that I use, the RecTech Seven Hundred. Yeah. um, I don't know what Thank the retail price on it is right now. It's probably around fifteen, sixteen hundred bucks. I walked into a hardware Hank store the other day, and I saw a piece of shit grill for more than the cost of my RecTech. And you, I guarantee you, it was it was junk. It wasn't the high quality stainless steel. It didn't have the the ability, you know, the Wi-Fi abilities that mine does, not even close. You get what you pay for, man. So if you love to cook, you love to, you know, cook for your family and your friends, Rectech is your deal.
3: You heard it from Bischoff himself. Time to toss out the tasteless gas grill, messy charcoal grill, and even that overhyped brand name grill aside. Join an elite wood pellet grilling family by focusing on flavor, convenience, and versatility. Rectech sets the new standard in grilling. Visit Rectech.com, that's R-E-C-T-E-Q. Use the code Bischoff5 to get 5% off site-wide. That's 5% off their top-notch wood pellet grills, one-of-a-kind Rectech icer coolers, chef-taste-tested rubs and sauces, accessories, merchandise, everything. 5% off, that's Rectech.com, and use the code Bischoff5. All right, Eric, Aaron, Paulston wants to know, here's one, theoretically, and recognizing that media consumption is very different in 2022, if, there's a lot of what ifs here, here we go, follow us along, if Nitro had failed to match or exceed the rating of its debut episode for three plus years, which Aaron says he thinks it was a 2.9, at what point in time would you have been out on your ass and WCW searching for a TV partner? So if you failed um, to meet that debut rating, how long would they, do you think they would have given you?
1: Oh, would it have been
3: three I, years?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, Ted okay. was Look, it was Ted's idea, right? I didn't go to Ted and say, Hey, Mr. Turner, I've got an idea. And if, if you give me two hours of prime time, I think this can work. <laughs> it wasn't that it was Ted saying to me, Eric, what do we need to do to be competitive with WWE? I pointed out the obvious, which is we're on Saturday night, 6.05 Eastern, 3.05 Pacific, and there are Monday nights in prime time. That was the only thing I could say that was not chicken shit and was true. And uh, that was it. He looked over at Scott Sassa and said, okay, Scott, give her two hours every Monday night, prime time, head-to-head with WWE. It was Ted's choice and Ted's decision. And Ted, once he made up his mind, he wasn't a wishy-washy person. You know, he, he made up his mind, and we moved forward. And, I, I look, had, had it been a complete disaster, and if we were only getting ones and maybe twos, you know, would he have given us three years? I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. Um, but the fact is, we did come out strong, and we were competitive with WWE right off the bat. We were beating them even in 1995, our first year. There were weeks when we were outperforming WWE head-to-head three months after we started. Um, So we were very fortunate in that regard. Fortunate and good. Um, But there was never any threat of them pulling the rug out from underneath us.
3: Either way, Ted was committed. Ted was committed. It it ended up best-case scenario pretty much right out of the gate, but he was in for it. He was in for the, the battle. Of man, not machine says you've said in the past, standards and practices made things extremely difficult to compete with WWE. Had you bought WCW with the goal of keeping it on TNT, were you concerned that standard and practices would still be a major issue? Yeah. Good observation. Great question, by the way. Uh, yeah, that was an
2: issue. And look, what standards and My real issue, and I complained a lot about standards and practices because I didn't even know there was such a thing called standards and practices until 1998. I had been running WCW since 1993. Well, not running it in 93. I was executive producer. But you think, as an executive producer, if there was an office within Turner called standards and practices and I was (laughs) responsible to them, um, I would have known about it. I didn't even know it existed. And until nineteen ninety-eight, what I as a part of a bigger, broader meeting, I had the head of ad sales from New York City, Turner Ad Sales, guy by the name of Joe Yuba, who went on to become a it still is hugely powerful in the world of entertainment and television. Um, I had a guy named Joe Yuba telling me that, okay, now we're gonna you, I WCW's been doing great, you know, number one show and on cable, blah 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 blah. But here's what we're going to do going forward. You're going to be family-friendly programming. Oh, yeah. I had just spent however many years turning WCW around by going after 18 to 49-year-olds and that kind of creative sensibility and had huge success that even the day of this meeting in the middle of summer, 98, I'm thinking to myself, why would you try to fix something that isn't broken? Right. But they were determined to be family-friendly. And as a part of that family-friendly conversation, it wasn't a conversation. It was a one-way conversation, Joe Yuva to me. And I didn't even, I didn't never even met Joe Yuva before. I didn't even know who he was. If I was standing in an elevator next to him, I wouldn't have known him. And the next person I never knew existed was this chick. I'm going to call her a chick because it's offensive. There's this chick by the name of Terry Tingle. I shit Terry you not, Jingle. her name was Terry Tingle. Is that not the best stripper name in the world? All I thought of was, whoa, I'd like to meet a Terry Tingle. Not this one. Okay. Not this one. She ruined it for all Terry Tingle. <laughs> yeah. No, she was a buzzkill. <laughs> and she, I, I, she proceeded to ask me. She, she said, I, I would like to see your scripts at least a month in advance. Oh. Did you fucking oh. shit me? Oh. You're lucky if you get one 20 minutes before the show
1: starts,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but you know, in, in her world, in traditional television um, you have drafts of scripts and you have things for people to look at, you know, months in advance so that you have a chance to give notes. And I mean, that's typically how wrestling, excuse me, typically how television is produced scripted television. But she didn't understand that in wrestling, it's not quite that way. We weren't that kind of scripted television. So th- that was a, just a pain in the ass, but I forgot the fucking question. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> no, you you answered it. was, were you concerned of, uh, if you would have bought it, if TNT would have still had, Oh yeah, I would have bought, I, yeah.
2: I would have bought it. If we would have bought it, I would have been concerned, but we would have figured out a way to still go after that 18 to 49 demo but do it within the guidelines of standards and practices. And it would have been a challenge. You know, there was one time she came to me, one time she saw something on television. She called me into her office or she came to mind, whatever it was. And she goes, I would really like it if we would not refer. You can't have one wrestler calling another wrestler stupid. It's very demeaning. Oh. Shit, you <laughs> not she said oh. it's very, it's very demeaning.
3: What of all the things you were doing stupid? Between well, that was one. <laughs> that
2: was one. I just remember that because it was just bizarre to me. And it was like, wait a minute. She, and this is what I mean, she just didn't understand wrestling at all. Right. She said yeah. there, there are people who possibly have learning disabilities and maybe may be offended by that. So would you please refrain from having wrestlers calling each other stupid? Fuck.
3: Well, Talk that's about- when you, you know, it you got a-, a battle on your hands. Then. Oh, that's just one example. Uh, Chris Mason. Says uh, you kind of touched on this earlier, but looking at things in AEW since Cody left, would it be fair with the evidence before us that he was holding things together backstage at AEW more than he was getting credit for when his departure was announced? You touched a little bit on Cody, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't know. You I know, mean, would yeah, I can
2: I. I could see why people kind of jump to that conclusion because it would make sense just based on everything that's happened. And if you look at what's going on in AEW since Cody left, the, I won't say the wheels have fallen off, but they're wobbling pretty hard at this point. Um, so it would be safe to make that assumption or natural, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Or, or maybe Cody just saw the handwriting on the wall and wanted to get out before it turned into a train wreck.
3: Yeah, whatever. Whatever the correct answer is, because like you said, you know we're not there, so we don't know exactly. But I think we can all say, like you said, there it has changed since Cody left. Things have changed.
2: Yeah, and not for for whatever reason.
3: Yeah, not for whatever reason. Mondo Madness says, whose idea was it to start the LWO? How come they never made uh, Conan the official leader of LWO? I loved him in the Wolfpack, but thought he'd eventually lead the LWO and would have loved to see him with Eddie and Rey Mysterio. Yeah. The the idea for the Latino world order
2: actually came from uh, a good friend of mine at the time, uh, Jason Hervey, who was a huge wrestling fan. He was one of the stars of the ABC show Wonder Years. Awesome. And Jason, once he got out of acting, was very much involved on the production side of things. And Jason was working for a company called Mandalay Entertainment. You look up Mandalay Entertainment, they've done some really, really big feature films, as well as other television property, other television programs. I own a bunch of sports teams with Mandalay Sports, all that. Be, the guy that ran Mandalay, his name is Peter Goober, goofy name I know. One of the most brilliant people I've met one of the most successful, at one time, chairman uh, of the board of uh, Sony Pictures. And he was a great guy. And he and Jason were pretty close. And I, w- I was out in L.A. meeting with Peter and Jason on another something that had nothing to do with Latino World Order. And we were out to lunch one day. And Jason said, you know, NWO, I mean, obviously you guys are kicking ass with that, but why don't you come up with the LWO for the Latino World Order? And I just looked at him. and went, you know, that's, that's good. That's because they were, you know, we had the, a lot of the Mexicans were coming in, you know, for the cruiserweight matches and things like that. But they're beyond their just individual names. There was no, there was no structure to it other than right. being in the cruiserweight division. And I thought, man, that's kind of a cool thing. It's a cool spin-off. So we did it more just to see how it would get over. And it did. As far as why Conan, maybe at some point Conan might've been a part of it. But uh, I I couldn't really tell you why we didn't do that right off the bat. May have had other plans for Conan at the time.
3: Eric, we are, me and you both, doing this show. Like you said, you get to spend your day digitally with me today. Digital is all a part of a lot of us. A lot of people watching or listening to this have been working remotely uh, these days, of course. A lot of people did it during the heat of the pandemic. And still, my wife to this day still works from home. Uh, and that means a lot more video conferencing. That means a lot more digital gatherings like we're having. And if you've ever been one of those calls where the audio is cutting out and everyone is struggling to hear and see each other because the Internet stinks, then you, my friend, have experienced a stream urgency. But <laughs> let's tell you, it doesn't have to be this way. What if you could use more than one Internet connection at the same time, like the hotel or the coffee shop Wi-Fi and cellular data connection to your phone for their combined speed and reliability. That's where our friends over at Speedify come in, Eric.
2: I'm digging this one. What a great solution to a common problem. And I I have that here. I
1: live in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, right? And as much as I love living here, We get power outages
2: on a fairly frequent (laughs) basis, right? And a lot of it has to do with the wind because we we, we live in an area right outside of Yellowstone National Park where the jet stream is flying 365 days a year. So the wind becomes an issue out here. And there's been more than one occasion where I've had real issues with my internet. So yeah, to be able to find a solution to that problem, Speedify, are you kidding me? I I can imagine it's going to be very successful. going to be a very successful solution or service.
3: Stream urgencies are a thing of the past with Speedify. It's the only app. It combines multiple internet sources into one bonded super connection to improve live streaming, video calling, gaming, web browsing, and everything else you do. What a brilliant
2: idea, Cassio. Why didn't you and I come up with this?
3: This is exactly what I was going to say. It's one of those things that's been in front of us the whole time, and none of us thought of it. Until Speedify, they win. Unbelievable, brilliant. Runs in the background, simple to use, lets you combine any number of t- or type of internet connections for better performance. Available on all your devices: PC, Mac, iPhone, Android, even Linux. But that's not all. At its core, at its core, Speedify is also a VPN, which means it encrypts all of your web traffic to improve privacy and. Security. So what are you waiting for? Get Speedify and say goodbye to Stream Emergencies for Good. Download Speedify today at speedify.com slash eighty-three weeks. That's S P-E-E-D-I-F-Y dot com slash the number eight three weeks. Hmm. Adam Leeson wants to know what's the one question Eric hasn't been asked. That he's surprised he's never been asked. Boy, what an open-ended question that is. I mean, God, if it was Conrad, say, he'd he'd ask how big your penis was. We know that. Yeah, he's, nobody's he's asked fascinated that. with Batista. Nobody, <laughs> that,
2: that one hasn't uh, that one hasn't crossed my path yet. Uh,
3: I feel like if you if a question hadn't been asked, you you have a podcast and many platforms. One, you've been asked almost every question you can think of. But two, I feel like. You would just get the information out if it hadn't been asked. Yeah, I mean,
2: I would. I've got, there's no shame in my game. Uh, Yeah,
3: you have platforms to get your information out.
2: I just can't think of one. I can't
3: think of one that hasn't been asked that surprises me. It might pop in your head by the end of this episode. If not, I I mean, again, you've been asked a million questions and you have platforms to get your information out if you want it out there. Sean Berkey says, if you were to start your own wrestling promotion, what current five, very specific number, five wrestlers would be your first to choose if you started one today? We know it's not punk.
2: <laughs> no, maybe it would be though.
3: <laughs> just to get it cranking.
2: Just, just to, just to make, know, him more, make him more miserable than he already is. We know it wouldn't have media scrums. No, we wouldn't have media scrims. I don't know, man. It's too hard to pick talent like that. I mean, right off the bat, I, I, and again, I've been saying this for a long time. I think MJF, I've been saying it for at least a year and a half or two years. I think MJF is going to, if he's not one of the best deals in the industry right now, he's going to be mm-hmm. um, just needs a little more time and not because he needs to get better. He's already great, but the wrestling audience is a weird audience. You know, they're, they're incredibly loyal. I think more loyal then maybe even NASCAR fans or pro sports fans in some cases. But they're also very challenging in the sense that they don't accept you right away. No matter how good you are, you have to earn their respect.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it, it, it's hard for anybody who's only been in the business for a year or two or three or four, even to really get over with the audience and if you, if you go back in time and you look at some of the biggest names in history uh, of wrestling over the last, let's just say 20 years, 25 years, there's only two people that have made it to the top that haven't been in the business for at least five or seven years. And that's Rock and Goldberg. And I think the reason that they were able to collapse that cycle or that trajectory is because wrestling was so freaking hot at the time that they essentially broke in mm-hmm. and because they had such exceptional charisma and they found their way with their characters and their personalities. And they were given the opportunity, obviously in, in Rock's case with WWE and in Goldberg's case with WCW, they were given the opportunity to show showcase that special charisma and that talent at a time when the wrestling audience was at a fever pitch. I mean, you, you could have vomited in the ring and the vomit would get over at a certain point. Um, that's how hot wrestling was. So it made it easier for two people like rock and Goldberg who are incredibly gifted in the case of rock. I mean, sounds silly to even say he's gifted. I mean, it's just amazing but I don't think either one of them would have had nearly the success they had, had they made their debuts three years earlier. I just don't. They just, it was a perfect storm and it was their incredible personalities and talent combined with the peak of the wrestling industry at that point. And perfect storm. You, perfect storm, perfect storm, perfect storm. Dominic, no, when, I, when you say pick five guys, you know uh, MJ off. I'd pick obviously. Um, I still think Dolph Ziggler is one of the most underrated, incredible, incredible. talents that's out there all the time making does everything you
3: want him to do perfectly,
2: and he's just perfect. I think he's really versatile. I think he's got some depth. You know, given his amateur background, his believability—that's why I. The way I feel, his believability of the ring, he reminds me a little bit of Kurt Angle. I know they're not in the same category necessarily as amateur wrestlers, but um, just like Kurt has the ability or had the ability to go out and just be a legitimate man killing machine because of his credibility, mm-hmm. and then on Tuesday night, he could do stand up with you, yeah. He, he had so much range and he was so comfortable either being a stone cold killer and being taken seriously or being that fucking goof that was wearing that little baby cowboy hat. Like he was a character in <laughs> toy story backstage.
3: Same with he, Dolph. Went,
2: he was, he, he was as comfortable doing either. And that's a real talent to have that kind of diversity in your character. And I think, I, I think Dolph Ziggler has that same quality about him. So I'd be, I'd be looking at MJF. I'd be looking at Dolph. Um, Tag team?
3: What about tag team? You need a tag team. I fucking hate tag teams. I'm just not a tag team. Guy. <laughs> what about trios? How <laughs> to round out your top <laughs>
2: It's say, like, what were they thinking? We're thinking? Oh, we need another championship. we got every championship. We've got every title we can we can think of. Somebody break out a brownie. Let's come up with some ideas here. Come on. Gummies all around. Let's come up with something because we need another title in, in AEW. We don't have enough, for God's sake. We need more. Let's all see. We- Let's see. Let's <laughs> come up with something. Oh, a trio title.
3: Oh, okay. I've never heard of that one before. Let's do that. Next, they're going to have the Vianos four title. That's what we're going to have. Go. Uh, what about it? Hey, what about, uh, I don't want to, I'm not going to make you round out of five, but what about, a? what about female? What about ladies? What's somebody that, uh, you would, Hey, let's, let's start with one. Start our ladies division, women's division.
2: I like Becky Lynch a lot. Yeah. I like Becky a lot. I'm not a f- as much of a fan of the most recent version of Becky. Okay. I don't know why it's, it's a little too much glitz and glamor because to me, Becky's one of those, I hope she doesn't hear this. Cause I, I, I really respect her and I wouldn't want her to take this the wrong way, but she's like one of those women. You'd, you'd have the misfortune of going into a bar or a nightclub and just getting a little too cute for your own good and she would just lay waste to you,
1: <laughs> like just that,
2: totally thrash you verbally and then physically, and make you feel like the smallest version of a man <laughs> walking the earth.
3: Yeah, I like that in a woman. No, I could totally see. It. I think that's a good thing. That that's her. I think, especially in wrestling, that's the kind of that's the kind of lady you want. Is, she's like hey, she's so she can real. put me in my damn place. She's so real,
2: yes. just yeah. like, I believe her. And she's so good at working social media. I mean, that's when Becky first landed on my radar, it was about six or eight months before I actually went to work for WWE in 2019. So early in 2019 is when I first started going Becky Lynch. What's up? What? Cause I didn't watch a lot of wrestling. You know, I was like, Becky Lynch, who's Becky Lynch. And I kept seeing her pop up on social media and her social media was like, Right on the money. Yeah. Like if you're if you're in the professional wrestling business today, if you're young or even if you're not young and you've been in the business for a while and you're not really sure how to use social media to really get your character and your story over, just follow Becky Lynch. Go back and look at the way she's used social media for the last several years. I think she's one of the best. Now I don't know if she's doing it herself or if she's hired somebody to do it for, her, but her social media is right on the money for her character and and what she's doing in the ring. One of the things that drives me nuts is when you see guys who are heels, you know, or women, you know, and on social media, you know, they're at the puppy pound, you know, adopting puppies right? or, you know, doing good things, which is all wonderful, but keep that shit to yourself.
3: Don't expose (laughs) your own character. Now social media is your, is, it's still an extension of your whatever your character is. And if
2: you're a professional, now look, if you're an actor, you know, or an actress, where your audience kind of understands that the person in on screen is not the right. same person in real life, that's different. But wrestling is unique in that regard. Wrestling, even though it's no longer kayfabe and everybody knows what it is, if you want your character to succeed, You've got to go beyond what you do on television to make it work. And social media is a great opportunity if you know how to use it and you don't use it to undermine your own character. And I see that
3: all the time, all the time. Fully agree. Dominic Mosley, he uh, interacted with us on social media. He's I'm disheveled one. He says with Eric being around sting for most of his career, what is your favorite version of sting? And what Eric do you think? About his current run. Thank you for keeping me entertained for many, many years, both in wrestling and now with the podcast. I think
2: obviously the Crow character for Sting has worked so well. And Sting was having huge successes, as we've kind of referred to him as Surfer Sting now. But <laughs> um, and, and he was having a great deal of success, and it was fun to watch him. But something happened to Steve Borden. When he became that Crow character, it opened up and I think it started to happen because Sting was very, Steve Borden was very interested in acting and had taken some acting classes and was looking beyond just the typical, how do I get my character over in wrestling formula? He was really digging into how to create a deeper, richer, more interesting character. Long before the crow character came around, so when Scott Hall, who's really the guy that came up with the idea of that crow character, kind of laid that out to him, I was in the room. I've told the story a million times, but I was in the room and I could see Sting's, he was like two feet from me, his eyes were getting as big as saucepans because he could see that in his head and he could see how much potential and how much fun he could have with that character that was so different than the Surfer Sting character. That for me, just as a bystander, I was part of the process, obviously, but in this case, I was really just a bystander. To watch that metamorphosis happen, like right in front of me in real time, to see Sting really kind of feel that character was a lot of fun for me. And watching him become that character was even more fun. It's another one of those things. It's like, you know, you kind of knew it would be successful, but none of us knew it was going to be as successful as it was as far as how do I feel about his current character? I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm grateful for Steve, you know, Steve Borden is able to get out there and keep his toe in the water and still do something that was such a big part of his life for the majority of his life and do it in a way that's positive for him. Um, I'm, 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 I'm grateful for, to Tony Khan for giving Steve Borden that opportunity. Cause it's a, it's a real gift.
3: Let's just put the strap on saying let's be done with it. Oh, I don't think
2: Sting want- would want that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he'd want that. Yeah.
3: No, he loves where he's at and he does an absolute fantastic job with it. All right, well, let's get to, uh, let's get to Francis Devlin. Francis said, if the NWO were end up on nitro and WCW on thunder. As Eric has stated several times, who were the NWO going to fight themselves? He goes, I just want to understand what the plans would have been for the, who the NWO would have wrestled against. You would have had the NWO would have owned
2: that show creatively speaking, yeah. but she would have had a lot of non NWO roster members that, that would be a part of that show just because NWO owned it doesn't mean that you had to be in the NWO in order to wrestle
1: on that show. That makes sense.
3: Yeah. So just, we're going to whole new. foe. Uh,
2: you, you would, look, roster at of the,
1: opponents at, at the time when thunder was launched, I think we had about 90 talent under contract. I think. And half of them would have been assigned
2: to WCW Nitro and the other half theoretically, some of them wouldn't have been assigned anywhere. Some of them were just developmental talent, but for sake of explanation, 45 of them would have been signed to Nitro and WCW 45 would have been over in thunder. And some of those, Talents over at Thunder would have jumped ship and come over to the NWO side and vice versa. So you would have had the same picture that you had with NWO versus WCW, but you would have had a much deeper roster to do it with. Not everybody on the NWO show would have been a member of the NWO. Some of them would have gotten thrown out of the NWO. Some of them, much like Sons of Anarchy, for example, would have been getting uh, patched into the NWO.
3: yeah, and alive. it would have
2: been internal conflict within the NWO, just like there would have been internal conflict within WCW on thunder. And it's that conflict in the drama that would have been a part of that picture that would have been driven, driving the storylines. It's really not that hard to figure out. I mean, I've answered that question about a million times. Clearly I haven't done a very good job and <laughs> I'm still getting it, but just imagine uh, it's, it's like, uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, not. Not everybody that's a member of the Dallas Cowboys team is necessarily a fan of Jerry Jones. Right. NWO would have been Jerry Jones. There you go.
3: Well, this episode is brought to you by our friends over at CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect your car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. And that plan covers more than parts, more parts than ever before. So, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles, like myself, let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic, a car shield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches. You're taken care of. Same goes if your car breaks down, you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through Car Shield also include. Coast to coast, roadside assistance, and car shield administrators are there for you with rental car options, trip reimbursements at no extra cost as well. Keep coverage today. You'll lock in your price now, and it will never go up. That means as long as you're on your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. Eric, like you said, you're, you're way up there. You're in a remote area. This is big. If you have Car Shield, you pick whatever mechanic you choose to go to, not wherever they're going to send you off in the distance somewhere. And you know what else? I was thinking as you're saying all this, I'm a big fan of Car Shield. I think it's a great
2: concept. Now, my I have two trucks. Well, I actually have three, but I have a 2003 Ford F250. It's a diesel. That's my winter truck. That's got 228 thousand miles on it, which for a diesel is not. So super high mileage. Good run. I've got a 1990, my everyday driver is a 1995 GMC 2,500 pickup truck. that has got 168,000 miles
1: on it. Those are my drivers. Now, if something goes wrong, and it, it does with those vehicles, you know, it,
2: but I can take it to a mechanic. I can get it worked on, so not, I'm not going to have to refinance
1: my house to do it. Normally, but if you're my wife has a Mercedes CLS 550, Mm -hmm. you cannot take that car to a mechanic (laughs) and ask him
2: to touch it and be able to hold on to at least 1,500 bucks. Right. If they bump it, they send you a bill for a $1,000. God forbid. Bid. I had to have a shock absorber replaced about a year and a half ago. Oh, a oh. fucking shock absorber. We may have to <laughs> edit that out. I don't know how good of a, how much of a sense of humor the fact for our friends over Car had, but it was a shock absorber. Sixteen hundred dollars for a shock yes. absorber. Louise, I. Sh- I mean, it's incredible. That's why car shield works for my family. Cause whether it's one of my old beater trucks that I love and I'm never going to sell them, I'm never, ever going to sell them. Just not. I love them. I'll keep them going until the day I die. One of them, my dog loves the 95 GMC. It's why I hold out of that truck as much as I do. Nikki, my dog loves that truck. If I sold that truck, she'd bite me in the ass. <laughs> well, whether it's one of my older vehicles or my, my wife's Mercedes, CarShield takes the pain away. Trust me.
3: They've helped protect Eric's wallet from expensive car repair uh, repairs. They can do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. Deductible may apply. Be sure you talk to CarShield, let him take care of you. All right, let's get to the more questions. This is as Jeff. Not the 1999 AFC Championship winning coach, Fisher. uh, Different Jeff Fisher. He says, thanks for your recommendation for the Wobby whiffs, Eric. I
2: got to get you some of the... Hold on, right? Hold on for a second. Hold on.
3: (laughs) If you're listening, not watching, Eric has now went off cam. Uh, He's ran out of the room. uh, And he's... I guess he's going to get Wobby whiffs. Here we go. This is amazing. He got so excited about Wobby whiffs, Jeff, that he has left the room. Here we go. Okay. Elvis is back in the building. Yeah. So
2: a friend, her name is Donna Seaman. Donna used to work work with us at WCW. I think she was in the PR department. I believe she worked under Alan Sharp, who was our head of PR. Anyway, super, super, super young lady. Um, she was a pilot too, and I was a pilot. She used to uh, she flew a lot. I, I actually flew with her and her dad once or twice, so we became pretty good friends. Anyway, um, stayed in contact with Donna over the years, just in social media and such. Well, her and her sister came up with this idea for Wobby Whiffs, and I'm gonna I'm gonna send you some because I think of all the people that I know, you would probably get a kick out of this more than anybody. But it's a very functional um, product, and this one that I'm trying to unwrap right now, just so I can read it, is called Toot Spray. See that? <laughs> now the cool thing about this, as cool as digital media is, you can't smell anything. So just you just have to use your imagination because I'm going to go. Hear that? Oh, all right. Yeah. Saw the sprays. Yeah. Oh. What do we got? Now what you do. Is when you're getting ready to take a dump, (laughs) especially you know how it is, you're in a hotel room with your wife.
3: Yeah. Big deal. You
2: know, you tear that shit up, stink up the entire room. It's kind of embarrassing. Mm. Right? Or you're at a friend's house. Maybe it's somebody you're not really good friends with yet. Somebody, maybe you go to your boss's house for dinner. Right. Mm. And you really gotta go. You don't want to be in there like dumb and and you don't want to stink up their house. Yeah. You don't want somebody coming into that bathroom two minutes after you got done with it and walk out gagging. (laughs) That is not a good look, not a good impression. So what you do is you take a little bottle of these Wabi whiffs with you. And right before you're ready to take a dump, you just put a little toilet bowl, sit down, take care of your business.
3: Wabi whiffs
2: flush it off. You go. No one will ever know. You just took a fucking
3: heinous dump
2: in your toilet.
3: <laughs> Does that have know. a uh, specific smell flavor? What was it called on that bottle you have?
2: This one is, uh, I can't read it. It's called Santa's cider. Oh, so it's got a yeah. hint. It's got a hint of cider smell to it. All right. right. Now well, these little babies here and they're not even yeah. a sponsor, by the way. This is just all for you know, you, shits and you giggles. You just went to
3: the bathroom and came back.
2: This is all for shits and giggles. You're ripping intended. open a
3: bag. What's in the bag? Now, this
2: is a bag. These are little sprinkles that you pour, like, and you can carry these with you. See that? Like confetti? What is it? No, it's more like it's got the same texture as it's almost like a fine salt. salt.
3: Okay. Why? Sea salt, big salt.
2: Yeah. But these things here, you can keep one of these in your pockets. You open them up, same concept, sprinkle them in the, in the, inside the toilet, Oh, water, take care of your business. It just shoo, makes all the stink go away. These things are awesome. Wow. Now, I don't even have a code anymore. I can't even tell you where to find them anymore. <laughs> just Google Wobby Whiffs, Wabi Whiffs. W A B I W H I F F S just Google it. And if you want to be one of those people that can walk around, look somebody else in the eye and with fucking integrity and honesty, say my shit doesn't stink. You, you need to go to Wobby whiffs.
3: Boy, by the way, if that doesn't, the next line of Jeff Fisher's question says this saved my marriage. If that doesn't <laughs> explain that. I don't know what does. So thank you, Jeff. I can't wait to check out Wobby whiffs. Um, I'll bring says, you some, I got a done. whole, I got a
2: whole box of it at home. I'll bring you some next, I'll, I'll bring you some next time. I see you.
3: Uh, I mean, we, we're going to go off on a diatribe, but me and my Big wife, booty,
2: Judy will be flanking me for this we, one. We've
3: never even passed gas in front of each other. So we need Wobby whiffs. We need oh, we There you go. We need it. Uh, Jeff says, are you aware of the action figures of classic wrestling stars that Greg Gagne is involved in? What do you think of Mr. Vern? Would think of being made into an action figure?
2: Oh, I think Vern would have dug it, especially if it's making money and right. it's successful. You know, Vern, Vern liked to make money, <laughs> and and I, I think there was a time when Vern tried a couple of different um, licensing opportunities um, back in the day. But no, I I think Vern would have liked it. What do I know? I don't really. I know. I know Greg is doing it. Right. I'm not sure who he's doing it with or how much success they had, or if they're even available yet or not. There's a lot I don't know, but I know he's doing it. And I think Vern would have dug
3: it. George Jones. Uh, I mean, Jeff Fisher had to tell us he wasn't the winning coach, Jeff Fisher. I don't know if this is the George Jones. I'm going to assume not since he's passed, but he says, Eric, please. What was your overall thoughts on glacier and the blood run cold?
2: Um, I think it was a fantastic idea that was about three years late. Really? I, I think if that same character, the whole, and it was all like, it was a derivative of the mortal combat right. franchise and r- really created that character and, and went with that initiative because I wanted to try to create characters that would, be appealing to video game companies because we didn't really have any video game business. Mm -hmm. WWE at the time had a tremendous video game business or licensing business in general. And I I wanted, I wanted to participate and create some of our own. So that's why those characters were created because I thought that they might appeal to video game developers and and licensors. Uh, I think if I would have come up with the idea three or four years sooner, probably would have had a different outcome. But if you go back and you look at the time that we launched the whole blood runs cold glacier character, it was right at the time that the NWO and that more reality based story was beginning to kind of gain a foothold. And it was just apples and oranges, man. It wasn't working.
3: Yeah, it was just, it was just a weird combo with that mix. Like you said, it was going to more reality based and there, and here we have the old school. Character, if you will. Yep. Coming out. Exactly. Um, Bobby KF five GTX says, Eric, what was the one talent you wish you had outside of wrestling?
1: Uh, Like a talent that I have. Well, he had, no, he said, what, what did you wish you had? Did you, were you ever
3: like, Hey, I want to be a ball player. Or I wish I could do that. Oh no. Something you didn't have, but you, you could have. Um, I've tried to learn how to play guitar
2: about a dozen times throughout my life. And, and I've finally come to the conclusion that I just completely suck at anything musical (laughs) and there's never going to be a chance in hell that I'm ever going to be able to play the guitar. But I often fantasize in my mind about standing up on stage and shredding with Jeff Beck or Prince. Can you imagine? Being up there, I mean, Prince. I mean, there's a lot of guitar players that I really, really admire. Prince is one of them. Um,
3: Look at this, Eric. Look at that. Got the purple there you go. shirt on. Incredible. Hi, how about it. this? As much as Prince is loved, he's still underrated. I agree. That's what I say. He, people don't realize how talented that guy was.
2: No, and I, I don't think they will really begin to appreciate it for a long time. But if you go back and I mean, well, I'm trying to think there was a, and it's, it's out there and I see it all the time on Facebook. Um, cause I probably liked it every time I've seen it, but there was a, it was an award show or a tribute show or something. And
3: I'm all it was like it. some of the top guitar players from all the different plants. You got it. I got it. It's George here. It's Harrison's rock and roll hall of fame introduction. He's got his son playing. Tom Petty is leading it. Um, Was that Beck or was it somebody Buckley believe Buckley is up there? Um, and they bring out Prince at the end and he absolutely annihilates it. My, while my guitar gently weeps, I honestly got,
2: I, I probably watched that video a thousand times. Oh yes. And it's brought tears to my eyes and given giving me chill bumps a thousand times. There's, I just cannot watch that thing without being moved.
3: Every well, you you can see the other artist's face light up when Prince starts playing. Like they are, you can tell they're a fan and know what's about to happen. I'm clear. I'm sure they at least rehearsed it or went over it. And he absolutely crushes. Like you said, he's on a stage with peers, and he still is the standout. That's that's when you can tell how your talent is.
2: And there was something about if you go back and watch that, like I do frequently. There's something, there's a physical metamorphosis that takes place towards the end. of I mean, you, you could oh. see Prince's soul was in that performance. He wasn't just up there playing guitar. No. His soul, his being was in that performance. And you could feel that. It's a different energy. It wasn't just because he was playing that guitar so amazingly well it was something beyond that that is the reason why I go back and watch that thing all the time there's one other one that I watch all the time I just have a shitty memory and I'm half hung over but it was when Hart play, played I think it was at the John F. Kennedy Center they played yes. a live memorial or a tribute to Led Zeppelin
3: yes are you kidding I mean Kennedy that's Center another honest, one yes that's another one when I watch that one I just man Jason Bonham, John Bonham's son, is on the drums. Uh, Robert Plant starts has tears in his eyes. Oh, you see him? him,
2: He was trying so hard not to show emotion. Incredible. Because I think if he would have began to show emotion, he would have fallen apart. That was such a beautiful and powerful rendition of of Stairway to Heaven that I don't think anybody else could ever touch it.
3: Oh, wow. I mean, when you hear somebody... Say we're going to cover Stairway Heaven. You're like, yeah, don't do that. Please don't. It's not going to be good. And they absolutely smashed it. Yep. All right. Me and you could talk music forever. Um, Buddy, you I just can't play it. (laughs) You you bringing up those two videos. Cheers. I'm going to take a drink to that. All righty. Those are two of my favorite music things, events, ever. All right. Let's keep going. Our buddy. Lenny Bakken talk about a great dude. Lenny says, what, Eric, what are your memories of the illustrious Johnny Stewart and whatever became of him? Do you know, I just got a text from him, uh, from Johnny here. Stewart. Yeah, that's amazing. Let me, let me
2: read you the text. Let me see if I can find it. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to like take up too much time. The fact that you're getting a text
3: from Johnny Stewart and this question pops up. It's amazing. Uh, It might've
1: been an email. Hold on one more time. The illustrious. John Stewart. There he is. Where is it? When did that come in? Friday. He sent me
2: an email that said, hello, Eric, would you mind if I used a quick shot? of a photo of you and I from the AWA because he worked in the AWA when I did in a montage for a political commercial. I am on the ballot for Illinois secretary of state.
3: Whoa, that's a big
2: spot. Yeah. That just came into me on Friday. That's amazing. So he's, yeah, he's wanting to use my image to help him run for office. Of course I said, fuck off, John. There's not a (laughs) chance to say. You shut no, I told him. <laughs> I told him he could. I know. I told Her him.
3: Phone could. who is?
2: <laughs> no, he's running uh, for Secretary of
3: State in Iowa, or excuse me, in Illinois. So that's that's not councilman of Gadsden, Alabama. That that's a big spot. That's like a legit yeah. political spot. That's a big deal. Yeah. Well, there Can you imagine go. Imagine that, John Stewart. Uh, Seth Caffey says, "Hey, yo, Biggie." If you could pick one current wrestler in the world to write a storyline for, who would it be? Whose
1: story would you like to get your hands on? I feel like you you might lean MJF here. Mm-hmm. I would like I would I don't know that I would want to write it by myself, but I would like to be
2: on the team to write Randy Orton's retirement story. Oh. Like there's going to be a point in time when Randy's ready to right. cash it in. Um, I'd love to be on the team to write that one. I, Randy Orton, you know, we haven't seen a lot of him lately. You know, he kind of comes in and comes out. And, mm-hmm. Holy smokes. What an amazing performer. And he like, not to the same degree as Kurt or, or Dolph, but Randy's got a lot more range than we've seen. He's really, really talented. I'd love to be on the team to write that story.
3: That would be fun. And it's going to be epic. Well, like you said, there's going to be a time and it's going to be epic because that's a big story when he goes.
2: Is there a more fluid, is there more consistent, more fluid? And he's a big man. You know, he's he's not a hundred and sixty pound guy, but Man in the ring, he's so fluid, and he makes ev- everything looks so easy for him. Yeah,
3: he he's not the lumbering big guy. He is no. He's getting he's after an, it when he's in there. He's an amazing, amazing performer. Uh, I'll sign up for it. I don't want Mister E to be involved in in Randy Orton's retirement strategy. Yeah, That'd be, that would be fun, epic. man. Uh, Matt Guerrero says, "Why did the first Monday Nitro not have?" The nitro colors, the gray canvas, black ropes, apron, red turnbuckle pads, but instead the blue and yellow ring that was typical with WCW at the time. That's a really good question, and I
2: appreciate smart questions like that.
3: Oh, the way, um, there's a question you haven't been asked before. you there. Wonderful.
2: You go. There you go.
3: Um,
2: the real reason is just time. You know that, that that meeting that I had in Ted's office when Ted said. Here's what you're going to do. You're going head to head with Monday Night Raw on Monday
1: uh, Monday nights. Uh, that conversation probably happened in July, okay. and I had eight weeks to figure out how to launch a primetime show. So they're just we we
2: didn't have a lot of advanced time. We didn't <laughs> the first really, thing
3: you're not thinking about is turnbuckle color.
2: No, and <laughs> graphics, and right. you know, so we we had some catching up to do. Yeah. But it's a really, it's a valid question and a good question. I appreciate it.
3: So just time-wise, you got a lot on your hands in a short Just didn't
2: have the lead time. We just, you know, we were scrambling to try to figure out how the fuck to pull this thing off. <laughs> and I wasn't thinking
3: about what color the ring mat was going to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> understandable. Debrica Pops, Tech Shark 300. He says, any good Bill Tinsley stories? Would love to have something to chide him with at work. So obviously he works with him. Yeah, Bill
2: was uh, Bill was a cameraman, worked in production, he's from Texas. Uh
1: just one of the one of the greatest souls I've met. Just a just a good human being.
2: No stories. Bill is pretty conservative guy. He didn't uh he didn't party. Didn't hang out with the crowd. Uh, He he was just a hardworking guy, but he had a great sense of humor. He was a great cameraman. Um, He could give good direction, although he wasn't the kind of guy that was going to offer any advice unless he was asked. But he was really good at what he did. Um, Had him over the house a couple times for beers, but no funny stories, man. He's just a good human being. He's
3: a good dude. It backfired to brick pops. Now you got to go back and tell him Eric loves him and Nothing crazy happened. Charlie thrower at Charlie photo guy. Good guy here. Mr. Bischoff said, what happened to the power plant? Was there anyone quote in charge of it? The way triple H was or is in charge of the PC.
2: Uh, various times. I think Jody Hamilton is probably the guy that consistently was running things at the power plant for the longest period of time. Um, so I would say Jody Hamilton, you know, whatever happened to it, it went, went, went the wayside along with WCW when WCW was sold, Uh um, power plant wasn't something that was part of the sale. Evidently Vince wasn't interested in it. And then I understand why I'm not suggesting he should have been,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but uh, you know, it, look, the power plant wasn't nearly as sophisticated as the performance center is in Orlando, right? <laughs>
1: and, uh,
2: yes, this it was a place to facility. get some reps
3: in. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was a, it was a trading facility and you know, look, Bill Goldberg, Goldberg got his start there. You know, I mean, it's not like it wasn't effective, but it wasn't nearly as sophisticated as Performance Center. Um, But, yeah, Jody Hamilton was the guy that ran it for the most part.
3: Eric Lewis, Eric B. Lewis says, I'd like to hear whatever Eric can tell us about both versions of the WCW magazine, the early 90s one, and then the late 90s magazine. I really love the late 90s one and remember it being a fun read at the time, says Eric Lewis.
1: Um, I hated it, hated the magazine, both versions. Yeah. Because it was
2: really difficult to provide the writers and the editors and the publishers with the stories they needed and the lead time they needed them in. So in other words, you got a magazine that's coming out on June 1st. Well, you're, publishers and, and your writers need to be writing for that in March right? Okay, or April. Well, in March or April, I don't have a fucking idea what's going to be happening in June, <laughs> right? So I can't give you anything meaningful. I can't right. give you anything. A scoop. That's going to so make to your shit really that interesting. So what do they do? They have to go kind of make shit up. So I couldn't give them what they needed, but what they ended up doing pissed me off. And it was this constant, like this thing going on all the time with me and them. And it never made any money. It never made any money. So it used to drive me fucking nuts that we're pouring resources into something that it, you know, it was dying. It wasn't growing. There was no reason to believe that the WCW magazine was something that was going to grow and actually create revenue. And I didn't believe that it's, served any purpose from a promotional point of view. It was just something a group of people did and you know, they wanted to keep it because it was under their job responsibilities, right? So they just wanted to keep that thing going just for job security. But I, I was not a fan of the magazine for, in, in any way, shape, or form. You know, and, no it's, one... and sorry to say that because there's some really talented people that worked really hard to make it work. There's right. nothing against them. It's just that the format of a magazine was just it was dying back then, and it on had a, never been successful in WCW, and I couldn't imagine why we kept throwing money at it. Uh,
3: on a On a basic level, it sounds like it's kind of like the thing uh, that you alluded to earlier with st- uh, standards and practices. She's wanting a script a month out, so is the magazine. You're going, we don't know what's happening a month. I mean, we no, have it, it, an idea, but not concrete nothing's and the
2: same going thing was true casio it's like a lot of if you go back into the especially the early 90s even the mid 90s late 90s when i was running wcw um same thing happened with pay-per-view because your pay-per-view companies wanted they wanted your main event match they wanted as much information as you could give them 60 and 90 days out well pretty tough to do that Right. And have it be accurate. So what you ended up doing was something that was very general, very artsy, <laughs> that wouldn't really drive home any particular match. Now, that didn't happen all the time, but occasionally. And it was, it was always frustrating. You know, our collateral materials for our pay-per-view never really reflected the way they should have what was going on in that pay-per-view because we just didn't know enough in advance to, to be able to fulfill the lead time
0: requirements
3: got busy lives these days but can't afford to waste a day stuck on the couch because of a few drinks the night before zbiotics is the answer that we're all looking for how about this zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic it was invented by phd scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking and here's how it works when you drink alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut it's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it the most. Just remember to drink z before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly, get a good night's sleep, and feel your best tomorrow. Mr. Bischoff, me and you have shared many drinks before in the past I wish I would have had Z-Biotics for that next morning. I wish I would have had it last night, but I'm fresh <laughs> up
2: <laughs> well'll be I'll be reordering some this morning as soon as we're done here. No, but I am I took it with I took some with me to Nashville um and I took some with me to Chicago and um, I maybe have one more left up in my suitcase that I still haven't completely unpacked, but I couldn't find one yesterday. So, um, I went without, and I'm paying the price today. That will not happen again, Casio.
3: I promise you that. I think that is a must have, like you just said in your travel bag. Cause usually if you're traveling, hanging out work or play, there's going to be a night where you tie one on, have a, have a relax enjoy wherever city you're in. Take that Z-biotics right before you go out and party and boom, you're ready to go.
2: Yep especially when you're traveling on business, because there's nothing worse than going out for dinner and drinks with people that you're in business with or hope to be in business with. And of course you want to spend as much time socializing as you possibly can. But when the alarm goes off at 535, fucking AM and you've got to be in, not only be in a business meeting, but you've got to be conducting said meeting and you're dragging ass. That is not a good look. So yes, if you're in the business world, if you're in the sales business, whatever it is you do, if entertaining clients or employees or whatever is part of your gig, you just want to have some Z biotics in your briefcase. Trust me. It will come in handy.
3: Give Z-Biotics a try for yourself. Go to Z, that's the letter Z, biotics.com, slash 83 weeks. You're going to get 15% off your first order when you use 83 weeks at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee. So you're if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they're going to refund your money. No questions asked. And look, Halloween right around the corner It's jumping up on us in just a few weeks. So order a pack of Z-Biotics for you and your friends today and make sure you get it in time for candy and cocktails. One more time, zbiotics.com slash 83weeks, 15% off your first order when you use 83weeks at checkout. Craig Usher Brand says, CM Punk or Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, if it comes to losing any, who should AEW side with to keep in terms to build their brand and move the needle. I just, I, I, I mean, here's what's unfair,
2: Cassio, and I know it's unfair, but I'm going to keep that position anyway, is I, I don't know what's real anymore. Like, if,
1: if Punk, let's just take, let's just go through an exercise here. Let's say that the Young Bucks were leaking Internal information
2: about what was going on behind the scenes in AEW. They were leaking that information to Dave Meltzer, which is, I think, what's been alleged as is, is to what caused Punk to lose his shit, right? I don't blame Punk for being pissed off about that. That's chicken shit, juvenile, high school bullshit. If indeed that happened, I wouldn't blame Punk for being hot. What I blame him for is the way he handled
1: it and humiliating Tony Khan as a way to vent his spleen. That's my issue with punk. Even if that actually happened and the Young Bucks
2: actually leaked information to Dave Meltzer and Dave Meltzer published that information as a way to put heat on punk, I, believe, I completely believe that could have happened still doesn't give Punk the right to do what he did, to take millions of dollars each year from AEW and then completely trash the company in the process. For that reason, I would get rid of Punk, regardless of what happened that caused that reaction. Mm -hmm. His Punk's reaction to me was far more egregious than the alleged circumstances that caused it. So, Punk would have to go under any circumstance. I would never, ever let a guy that buried me and my company while taking millions of dollars from me, I would never let him on television again with a live mic or in an interview with a live mic. I wouldn't want him around. I mean, I, I just can't imagine a scenario where you'd keep that guy around. I cannot imagine one. And if they do, my guess, it's just a guess, having been involved in litigation, that they're keeping them around until they can determine, they meaning AEW, that from a legal perspective, they're bulletproof. Because otherwise you got this disgruntled piece of shit named CM Punk that, oh, just coincidentally, by the way, he supposedly tore a tricep early in his match. Is there any indication of that? Does it, has anybody seen anything in that match that makes them go, oh, I can see, yep, it's really, no, maybe maybe there is. I, I, I didn't see the match. I'm, I'm not saying it's bullshit. What I am saying is bullshit is when I saw him in that press conference, he didn't have any fucking problem feeding his face with Twinkies. <laughs> he wasn't selling anything. was were muffins. muffins. He wasn't in pain. He's stuffing his face like he hadn't eaten in a fucking month. <laughs> I mean, he looks like a wino. It looks like somebody picked him up, you know, on a street corner somewhere in Chicago, sobered him up 20 minutes before the press conference. It looks like shit. Always, always has. But did you see him selling his tricep? I mean, he was eating with his fucking two fist and, you know, Twinkies while he was up there.
3: I was not brought up. Yeah.
2: Couldn't see it. Right. So I think it's bullshit. I think, what, I think he got hurt. I think he tore his tricep in that backstage altercation, whatever that was. And now you, you've got AEW that's got two executive vice presidents, right? Because that's what the Young Bucks are, EVPs. EVPs. They are officers of the corporation involved in a physical confrontation with the disgruntled piece of shit who now has a tr- torn tricep. I submit that perhaps he got the torn tricep stuffing his face with fucking Twinkies in the scrum. <laughs> if he got hurt, he got hurt feeding his face because he was working hard at that.
1: But I, now you've got, you
2: got a potential legal issue on your hand and a big one, by the way, because if, Punk can maintain that he was hurt inside of that ring. And then there was a physical confrontation and now he's got to have surgery and he may not be able to wrestle again. And oh, by the way, he's making millions of dollars a year. And if he can't wrestle again, some attorney on the other side is going to say, yeah, but he had at least 10 solid years left in his career. Because look at Chris Jericho, who's over 50 years old. Look at this guy. who's over 50 years old. Look at this guy. who's over. She had a good Seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years left. And he's been making a couple million, but I know what the number is. I just refuse to say it. It's a lot of millions. So, you know, it's about a $50 million lawsuit.
3: Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah.
2: That's going to be a mess.
3: So if they keep oh, no, him around, an a it's time.
2: because they're trying to navigate that. That's my guess.
3: All right, let's go to Mr. William. Mr. William says when TNT canceled WCW shows, Was there any possibility of talking to USA Network as a landing spot for shows as they just lost WWF to TNN? No, that wouldn't have been, USA wouldn't
2: have been an option. Um, But we were, I I was talking to FX. Um, There was a guy by the name of uh, Peter Liguori. Uh, Peter Liguri was the head of uh, FX and the guy right underneath him, Oh, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy that actually brought AEW to TNT. I um, can't remember his name off the top of my head, but those I had had several meetings with them, and they were very interested in Nitro, um, but they weren't
1: interested in both, and we needed to find a home for both shows. All
3: right, Eric, Kevin Huntsberger wants to know, was there ever a product that you wanted to create and market for WCW that was rejected or ever anything suggested to him that you rejected? I know you hated the magazine, but anything else?
2: No. Um, I mean, I never had a product that I wanted to try to create and then promote and distribute through WCW, so nothing along those lines. Hey, you know, I went along with a Nitro Cafe in Vegas. And that was like one of the dumbest ideas in the world. So now nah, there was nothing I ever turned down and there was nothing I ever really wanted to try to do that had been turned down. So the answer to both of those is
1: nah. no. Nah. Yeah.
3: Chip Maxi toot toot. He says, even though the Sting Hogan match quote, didn't live up to hype, what was Eric's favorite part about booking the build to that match for 15 months? I just think the mystery,
2: you know, the the period of time when the audience wasn't sure what Sting was thinking when he was lurking, you know, when he was kind of pissed off at, you know, his peers in WCW for doubting him and not believing in him, and there was that period of time where the audience wasn't sure if Sting was just so pissed off he was going to join the dark side of the NWO or or not. There, there was about a two or three month period there where. There's a lot of mystery. And I, I love a good mystery, you know, in wrestling. I, I love I always believe that if you could get people talking and asking questions about what was going on, um, you were ahead of the game and there was a lot of questions being asked around Sting because of the mystery that that we created with
1: him. That was fun. I,
3: that's fun to hear is when I take myself back to that fandom period of time of you know, watching that in real time, that's exactly what happened. You know, we alluded to earlier, me and my friends were, what's happening? Who, what's he doing? What's he going to do? Like you said, it was just all questions. And that was the fun of it is what is going to happen next? That's, that's
2: called episodic television and it always works. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that, to me, that was the most fun part.
3: Brett Sundasarian says, excuse me, Brett, if I got your name wrong, Whereas, uh, a cool said, dude. He lives in
2: Australia. He's Australia. Uh, uh, he lives in Australia now. Um, he's, he's Indian, but he's living in Australia and he covers cricket and he does a great Whoa. job. He's a sports writer that covers cricket and he you lives in Australia.
3: It? I don't want to get off too far in the weeds, but cricket is one of those sports I know nothing about. Every time they show highlights or something, I'm 1000% involved. It's fascinating to me. Isn't it though? It's kind of like it looks like. Full contact baseball. It looks fun as hell. I know yeah. that. It looks fun as hell. It's, 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 a, it's a weirdly cool sport. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, Barrett says, uh, if, if, say, Eric had to create the NW storyline in 2022, not 1996, would you have used social media to promote and build on the realism of the angle? And if so, how would he have done it? You, you hit this earlier, social media now has to be a part of your character. So I would assume it would have to be a part of NWO.
2: It would. And the first thing I would do is I would hire Becky Lynch away from WWE (laughs) to help architect the social media promotion towards that end.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Good call. Hazard F5 says, one of my favorite moments in SmackDown history and one of the most underrated was the Billy and Chuck wedding with Uh you in disguise. How long did the makeup take and how far in advance did you know what the plan for the segment was? The makeup, um,
2: that whole process, I think took about two months, month and a half. Um, My, the first step of that, I had to fly to Los Angeles and meet with the, the company that, did the makeup and created all that special effects company that was, you know, I flew to LA. I probably spent three quarters of a day there, maybe five, six, seven hours getting fitted. And they did a wax cast of my face and my head. It was really an extensive thing. And in order to create that rubber mask that I pulled off, and then the day of that event, I got to the arena. It was in Minneapolis. I got there probably at nine or 10 in the morning. And it wasn't until about one in the afternoon that the, um, whole, the makeup and the whole thing was applied. So that took about another four or five hours to get on. So I'll told there was about a 10 hour, 12 hour effort over the course of a couple of days. It looked incredible. The entire thing took about six weeks.
3: Uh, Six weeks to create the
2: makeup? Yeah, to create the mask and the makeup and everything that went into it. And I really didn't know I didn't know what this I didn't know what the scene was going to be until that day. I knew I was going to be in makeup, but nobody said, okay, here's what we're going to do, and here's why you're in the makeup. And here's how it's going to play out.
1: They just said, Go get
2: fitted for this mask and show up to the building early so we can get it applied before anybody. Shows up because they wanted me in full makeup before any talent or production got there. Because again, they didn't want anybody to know it was me. They wanted to keep that a secret because um, they wanted the surprise element. Incredible. Um, this is why I got there so early, but it was,
3: it took a while. It took a while. All right. Bryant Haremza says, when selling advertising for WCW or any company for that matter, did you pitch certain companies to be a sponsor for Nitro and certain companies for pay per view? Or did that really matter? Was it all, we'll take whoever we can get on board?
2: WCW didn't handle ad sales. That was handled for us by Turner Ad Sales in New York. So we had no hand in any of that. The only hand we had um, was for in programming things like the Slim Jim spots, because that was all, you know, that was ring posts and turnbuckles and banners and all that kind of shit. And all of that promotion took place inside of the show. And there were commercials as well, but a lot of it was driven by the things that we're doing inside of the show.
3: But did they sell that and say, Hey, you need to integrate this?
2: No, we sold it. Okay. I sold it. We sold it. That was part
3: of you selling it and integrating it. We
2: sold it to Slim Jim and then integrated it with ad sales. But that was really one of the only in-program initiatives that we had you know our fingerprints on everything else was given to us by
3: ad sales. All right, Joey, the Tory Amos guy, he says, "Do you think Warner Brothers Discovery will have a more hands-on approach to boost the ratings for AEW, or are they con, or are they content with how the ratings are, and will they start to hit the panic button sooner than later if there isn't any growth?"
1: Don't know. You know, the honest answer is have no
2: idea. Mm -hmm. All I can tell you is from past experience, not only in wrestling, but especially outside of wrestling, because I produced probably created and produced probably no fewer than 15 different shows for no fewer than eight or 10 different cable outlets And traditionally, typically what happens is your network is very hands-on in a developmental process, throughout the entire production process, very much involved in creative. That's normally what happens in television. Wrestling is a little bit unique in this because it's not your typical scripted content that networks are familiar with. So they tend to be a little more hands-off until – there's a reason they feel they need to be hands on. Yeah. Now, where is that point for Warner Discovery? At what point are they going to need to, or, or what, what point are they going to feel that they need to have more hands on creative? That's hard to say. It's really hard to say not being there. I think the bigger challenge right now is how credible does AEW look as a long term? investment if you're a television company seeing the kind of dysfunction that we've all seen going back to mgaf you know calling tony Khan out in front of a bunch of warner discovery executives in that blistering promo that he did where he called tony con a fucking mark sure. i mean that was pretty outrageous um if i'm warner discovery and i'm thinking about making a 45 or 50 or 75 million dollar investment in a company do i feel like this is a solid company with a solid future right now i'm kind of wondering that's when the door opens up that's when you get executives will all of a sudden go, you know what? Maybe we need to start treating this like we treat the rest of our content. right? And maybe we need to be a little bit more involved and not just be hands-off. And that's, that's the real risk here
1: because that's a horrible position for a wrestling company to be in. Compromising and collaborating with executives that hold the key to your future and they don't know
2: anything about your business it gets even more frustrating and more
1: challenging.
3: That's, that's interesting. You say that on a much more minus, minuscule scale, uh, being in radio, in the morning radio business, and our owner told us right out of the gate, uh, luckily we've been going 10 years, but right out of the gate, he says, I know nothing about rock radio. I'm not going to interfere with your morning show. And as long as the ratings are fine, You'll never hear from me because I don't know about rock right. So if you guys think it's going to work and it works, why be hands-on? So it's exactly like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. They want to go, we don't know. We're not involved in that space. So if you're successful, we have no reason to be involved in that space and let the people who are involved in it and are good at it be involved. Uh, that's, that's I think that's a lot in the entertainment venues, any kind of entertainment business that it is. The higher-ups want to go, please take care of it. We don't exactly know what's going yeah, on. Just We just, just want to
2: be successful. Just make it work and make us money, and we'll leave you alone. But if you start fucking shit up, yeah. you're not making us money,
3: guess who's moving in? That door opens. <laughs> that door opens. Guess right. who's moving in? <laughs> speaking of, speaking of, uh, Yambag Jones, my favorite uh, guy, whoever questions his great name, Yambag Jones says, would it help to, uh, would it help AEW to have Tony or someone else be an on screen GM figure? Uh, or is the idea played out now? I mean, he's flirted with it. He's made appearances, but you know, is that idea played out now or do you think that's a thing?
1: I think there are always, look, there's always been authority
2: figures in professional wrestling, whether it was the commissioner, you know, I, I growing up being a wrestling fan as a kid, there was always a commissioner, you know, in AWA yep. it was Wally Carbo. You know, he was whenever there was an issue and then needed, you know, resolution, you know, they call in the commissioner. There's always been that authority figure. Um, so it's nothing new. I think it's, it has been played pretty hard, you know, starting in the mid nineties and it played itself out. I think in yeah, early two thousands, it had played itself out real hard, Look, I I, I think it can still work. I think it's still necessary. You have to have a basic framework and structure
1: of even a fictional organization in order for the story um, to be consistent. You know, there has to be
2: parameters. There has to be rules. There has to be limits. There has to be a construct that the audience can go, yeah, but you can't do that because… You know, or that guy cheated because, or that woman cheated because. And without an authority figure there to kind of communicate some of that, <clears throat> it's just random shit, guys fighting each other, making their own matches, which are just is a fucking pet peeve of mine, how wrestlers can make their own matches, um, whatever. Um, especially when you're trying to present yourself as a real sport. So I think the, the, the authority figure needs to be, something that still exists today. Does it need to be as overplayed as it was in the mid late nineties, early two thousands? No, too much emphasis was put on it. It was too easy and it worked too well in the beginning and nobody wanted to just put the horse to rest. You know, they just want to keep riding that horse I get it guilty as charged. Um, As far as Tony Khan being that character, absolutely fucking not. I think one of the mistakes that Tony Khan has made is positioning himself as the Vince McMahon of of AEW, Paul Heyman, Eric Bischoff. Tony wants that desperately. Tony wants desperately to be recognized in the same conversation as a Vince McMahon. The problem is Tony is horrible on fucking camera. Anybody that loves Tony Khan, any members of his family, close friends, whatever, should be pulling him aside and saying, Tony, stay away from the camera. Don't do press conferences. Don't get involved in the show. Don't take that front position that he's taking, fronting the company in social media, because he's not good at it for the same reasons that I gave you and the the, the fucking hideous embarrassment of a scrum where Tony went off on a rant for like six or seven minutes, dropping F bombs. He's the CEO of a company that's doing business with Warner discovery. You have to have more credibility and sophistication in that. You're not one of the boys, Tony, you may want to be, but you're not. And in terms of his on camera presence, he is as horrible as anybody I've ever seen on television. He's fucking horrible. So no, find somebody. <laughs> and some, find somebody that's legitimate. Like hire, hire a vice president, public relations, right. that's a, a good spokesperson. And let that person speak on your behalf, Tony. Because the more distance Tony has, the more he's the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, yeah, and and not the Wizard of Oz that you see when you pull the curtains back. The better off he is, but if we see the Tony Khan that we all saw when they pulled the curtains back, and we saw the Wizard of Oz really wasn't a wizard; he was just a goof. Yep, that's you don't want that. You lose your company loses credibility. You just it's not good,
1: and Tony just is especially horrible at that. But, uh, I don't mean to be mean. I, no. I'm, I'm, being, I'm
3: just being honest. I mean. People are asking for your opinion. That's what I love about it. You always give your
2: opinion. And gonna, here's the deal. Him. I don't dislike Tony Khan. I yeah. actually, the little that I know him, I I like him. He's a likable guy. And I'm sure he's got amazing qualities.
1: But his talent in front of a camera is not one of them. <laughs>
3: That's a- Mo John Rowdy Johnny Piper says, does Eric have any memories of AWA running shows in Rochester, Minnesota at the Mayo sure. civic center? I attended my first wrestling event there at 10 years old. Anything pop in your mind immediately for Mayo civic center?
2: No, other than it was fun, man. We'd go down to, uh, Rochester, which was about a hundred miles or so, uh, south of Minneapolis And we get down to Rochester, and uh, that's where Vern shot all of his shows for ESPN were we're shot there. Because Vern had a show on ESPN Monday through Friday, 3 o'clock Central Time. And we shot most of the shows for ESPN were shot in Rochester. My memories of it were all really positive, man. I was so new in the business. I had only been in the business for a year or two, and it was all still so new and fascinating and exciting for me. And I got to do things I'd never done before. Um, I interviewed, I you know, interviewed guys like, uh, oh, who's one of the ones that I remember, uh, that scared the shit out of me. Ox. Uh, oh God, I can't remember his name. I had, uh, he had the heart punch, big old Fu Manchu. Yeah. He was crazy. Uh, I got to interview Coquina Maximus. Kokina Maximus went That's on to become Yokozuna. Um, but he was one of my first interviews.
3: Stan Saziak Ox Baker. Is that the Heart Punch? Ox Baker. Yep. Yeah. Ox Baker. Ox Baker. Ox Baker. Incredible. Man, he
2: was scary as fuck, dude, back then. I mean, he was an older <laughs> guy, but he, still, he just had this incredibly powerful voice. And he was just crazy enough that you weren't sure if it was real or not, which is really fun. He was great. <laughs> But interviewing guys like that, you know, the first time I interviewed, Harley Race was in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, Masa Saito, for some I interviewed, Masa Saito was in Rochester, Minnesota. So there was a lot of firsts for me on camera in Rochester.
3: Jeremy Sasser if Vince Russo had accepted the WCW offer in 96 to come there. Do you think you and he would have had a different relationship if you had met back then?
1: Wait a minute. Could you re- reread the right. first part of that question for me?
3: If Vince Russo had accepted the WCW offer in 96. Okay, hold on
2: correct? right there. Hold on right there.
3: It was never an offer in
2: 1996. <laughs> Where did that shit come from? When was his all first offer? He never got an offer. I mean, obviously he got an offer in 1999 or 2000, whatever it was, after I left. But in 96, I was running shit. And I never offered him anything. <laughs> I don't know where that. I don't yeah. know where that rumor and innuendo came from. But yeah. it,
3: all right, let's do this. If somebody offered him i six and he came on board, do you think your relationship would have been different?
1: No. No, because so,
3: he's it, the same it, guy. You're the same guy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it wouldn't have worked.
3: <laughs> Patrick Straight. Uh, this could be my perception. He says, but if it it feels like. WCW Toys Action Figures never had the same frenzied fan following that WWE did. Was that a business uh, you were interested in expanding, and how tough was it to manage that industry?
2: Mm, That's another really good question. Um, Good observation. No, WCW never really had the kind of licensing and merchandising power and success that WWE had, and it was something that I coveted. You know, I I knew the kind of money that WWE was generating in licensing and merchandising, and WCW wasn't. Part of that was because until about 1996 or 1997, there were no companies interested in the WCW product. Nobody wanted to license our product because we were. If they were interested in licensing wrestling, they went to WWE yep. because they were hugely successful and had a great track record in the licensing category. So let's say you, you want to license a uh, Wabi you want to come up baby. with your own, your own WWE or wrestling Wabi Whiff, or are you going to go to WWE? That's hugely successful and has other product categories that are hugely successful. Or are you going to go over to WCW? That's like, yeah, they're number two, but it might as well be number 222. And by the way, they haven't had a successful licensed product in their history. That's what we were facing now by 97 and 98, that started to turn around because we became such a pop culture phenomenon. Our our ratings were through the roof. Mainstream media was starting to pay a lot of attention to us. So that began to change about 97 and 98. But, we didn't have the infrastructure in place. We didn't have great licensing executives in place that had great Rolodexes and had done business with a lot of other companies. We didn't have those people. Um, so we never really got off the ground. The biggest deal that I ever did was with EA Sports, and I think they gave us a, an upfront guarantee our advance of like $10 million bucks for EA oh. Sports, but that wasn't until about 1998, late 1998.
3: And that was from that that we we're right? fighting for everything. That was all video games. Yeah. The yeah, idea. All right. Mick Dolman, big hypothetical question here. He says, imagine the undertaker decides to jump ship to nitro during the Monday night wars. He can't use that character. What would you have called him and what gimmick, if any, would you use for him instead? Was that even an option on the table? Was that even approached?
2: No, no, it wasn't. Um, I was aware, although I didn't know um, Undertaker personally, I'd never met him, um, never been in the same room with him in 90, by 1996. But I knew a lot of other people that were close to him and did know him pretty well. And all of them told me the same thing, is that Undertaker will never leave Vince McMahon. He'll, he'll be the last man standing in the WWE locker room if it comes to that. So it was never even a consideration or I never even gave it any thought.
3: Um, our next sponsor, Eric, is Athletic Greens. It's a product. People that use this thing use it every single day. Yep, me. Is that, that you, Eric? No, that's true. I didn't use it today
2: because um, I had a slow start this morning. <laughs> but I, I typically start my day the same way every day. I usually am up before the sun. I like getting up early. And I'll turn on the coffee pot, start making coffee. But before the coffee's done, I'll mix up my athletic greens. IG one. And I just take a packet, take a scoop. If I'm not on the road, just one scoop, mix it up with some water, cold water, throw in an ice cube, stir it up. And that's the first thing that passes my lips Everything most of the time right. in the morning. And then uh-huh. I have my coffee. There's so many good things in. Athletic Greens, AG1, that are good for your gut. You know, it's like, oh, what does that mean? Well, cares if something's good for your gut. Because your digestive system is like the most important part of your metabolism. If you're not digesting your food properly, you're not getting the nutrients that you should be getting. You can be eating healthy, but in some respects, you can eat some healthy things. But if your your gut is not functioning properly and not um, metabolizing things properly because you don't have enough of the things that you need in your gut, like probiotics, things like that. Um, those nutrients never get where they're supposed to go. So that's why I, it's the first thing I do every day. And I tell you, it's delicious. It's easy. I don't have to choke it down. It's not like some supplements that I've taken in my life. Like One that I, I, I fell in love with early on way back when was a product called spirulina. And it was Really a great product, but it just tasted like sweat socks. I mean, it was just (laughs) fucking horrible. And the thing I love about AG one is it's delicious. And it has so many great vitamins, nutrients, probiotics that I know, and especially on an empty stomach, not to get into too deep, but I like to take it early in the morning before I eat or drink anything else, because I know that all of that stuff is going to get metabolized easily because I don't have anything else in my stomach at that point. And everything I do the rest of the day gets, gets to where it needs to be. I imagine you bring it with you on the road as well. I do. I do. It's in my suit. I have about 12 packages. I keep a minimum of 12 packages in my suitcase at all times, usually next to my Z biotics, but, um, but you know, I travel with it. It's easy. You come in little packages. You can just mix it up in your hotel room. You don't need a blender. It dissolves really easily. You can stir it up with a straw or your finger or whatever. It just dissolves quickly and easily. It's not clumpy. You don't choke on it as it's on its way down. But, yeah, I travel with it all the time.
3: If you're asking what it is, AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. Athletic Green is going to give you free one-year supply of immune support, vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash 83weeks. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash 83weeks to take ownership over your health and pick up that ultimate daily nutritional insurance like Mr. Eric Bischoff was just talking about. Those travel packs are a lifesaver.
2: Jeremy it's, hard, you know, it's hard to stay healthy when you're, you know, this, I mean, you've spent a lot of time on the road as a comedian. Oh, it's it's all, I mean, no matter how hard you try awful. to stay healthy on the road, it's brutal. And. AG1 is a product that can really go a long way to help you maintain your health and your energy because it's it's about energy, man. If you don't eat right, you're not digesting your food right, and your body's not adapting it correctly, and you're not getting the nutrients you need. You're just gonna feel like shit. And the longer on your road, the longer you're on the road, the worse you feel. And AG1 can go a long way. So yeah, keep that stuff with it. It's good.
3: Athleticgreens.com/slash eighty-three weeks. Jeremy Strunk says, during his initial run, did Eric ever talk with anyone in WWE about the very heavy pro-WWE narrative that they promote on anything related to WCW and the Monday Night Wars? It's always stuck out to me, says Jeremy, that all WWE documentaries on the subject depict WCW, Eric, etc., in a very negative light, so much so that I began to accept the narrative despite being a fan during that era and knowing better reading the nitro book and listening to 83 weeks has really helped put that back into perspective. Just wondering if Eric ever tried to get both sides told a little more evenly when you were with the company, Eric. No, nope, never brought it
2: up. And, and in, in fact, I would say I even participated in that kind of smokescreen narrative a couple okay. of times And part of it is because I I firmly believe, and this kind of goes back to, you know, one of the reasons I'm so
1: vehement with regards to CM Punk is I, I so firmly believe that
2: once you accept a job and accept payment for that job, your job then becomes to fulfill whatever the obligations or expectations of whoever it was that gave you that check, mm-hmm. regardless of how you feel about it. Nobody, when they hired me in WWE, they didn't say, okay, we're going to put you under contract. We're going to pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to work one day a week, but we really want to make sure you're comfortable with what we what ask you to do. That <laughs> conversation never happened.
0: Right.
2: The conversation was, we'd like to bring you in. Here's how much we're going to pay you. And at least in my mind, the expectation is you're going to do what we ask you to do to the best of your ability. I think that's the way it should be. And there were times when I would do interviews that I knew I was not, I don't want to say defending myself or necessarily contradicting what some of the narrative that was being presented to me was. But I went with it because I was taking their money. And I know that sounds like a kind of a punkish no not not as in CM Punk, but it sounds like almost a chicken shit thing to do is to compromise your own values
1: or your expectations. Um in order to please the guys that are writing your check. But I still believe that. I still I, believe that.
3: I think that happens in every job. I mean, you don't you know, you know, you don't agree with everything they do, but they're giving you the check. You better hope that business succeeds. And if you don't, go do another job. Yeah, I mean, board like, another
2: business. It's like when, when I once I took the job, I I never questioned creative. Only one time. One time I questioned creative. Um, or if I had an idea that would make something a little bit better, I'd raise my hand, and speak up. But for the most part, whenever they'd give me something to do, I would just look at it and go, "Okay, how do I make this as good as I can make this." If I have to personalize it a little bit or change a thing or two, I'll go talk to somebody about that, and I'll explain why. But I never questioned anything that I was given with the exception of one time, Um, and that turned out to be a positive thing. So, um, no, I never did. Never raised my hand and said, hey, bitches. Didn't quite go down like that. I know you're trying to paint this fucking picture and make you guys look like the smartest people on the planet, but guess what? You're not. And that's not the way it happened. And here's the truth. That would have been a really short conversation.
3: <laughs> Speaking of creative, Lauren Eason wants to know what are your thoughts on the WCW stable? MIA Misfits in action. This was, of course, Corporal Cajun, Lieutenant Loco. What are your immediate thoughts there? Who was in that again? Corporal Cajun, Lieutenant Loco. Any any thoughts there? Mister I, I, Mr. I Mr. remember Guerrero Jr. as Lieutenant Loco. Roux is Corporal Cajun. Yeah, I. The shortest reign ever. For the now retired WCW Tag Team Championship.
2: Yeah, I, 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 that was a Vince Russo thing. And it just,
3: okay. I mean, great know, dudes involved. Just, it, it, no, it himself. wasn't
2: the talent. It yeah, wasn't yeah. the talent. It was just the whole idea. It was, I don't know. It just didn't click with me. Doesn't mean <laughs> it wasn't a good idea. It just didn't click with me.
3: All right, Rick Smith, since you've had another book, since you have another book coming out, wanted to ask, how different of an experience is it not ha to not have WWE involved like your first one? Also, what are your favorite wrestling autobiographies? So the first one first, what's it like this time around with a book not having WWE involved?
1: WWE did, wasn't really involved in my first one. Okay? I mean they they
2: really let me do and say what I wanted to do and say and
1: if they had any input creatively or they had any edit control i don't remember it happening okay
2: i mean i th- th- there were certain things i said and did that i thought was going to get some attention but didn't so th- they were hands off to my knowledge now maybe they worked with the editor but when i you know when i read the first transcript of the book um it's like god just everything i said is in this book nothing got taken out
3: it's good to know so,
2: um, I I can't see anything negative about that experience. It's all positive. Uh, at this time, um, you know, with this book, it's a little different because the subject matter is different. You know, I'm, I'm we're going back and we're talking about wrestling from 2006 until today because that's really grateful is the name of my next book. It's coming out November 11th of this year. Um. It's about wrestling. It's about my involvement in the wrestling industry from 2006 until present. But it's not really about wrestling. It's about what I've learned from being in the wrestling business, not only, you know, beginning in 1987, but more importantly and more focused is my views of it and how it's affected my life and the way I look at life from about 2006 to present. So it's it's been a... It's always fascinating to sit down and talk to somebody in depth about things that you've done and and how you feel about things and how it's affected your life. So that part was fun this time around last time, you know, the first book, it was all more just history, just all wrestling history. Very little about me really.
1: Um, It's more personal. This one's more personal.
3: Well, anything popped to mind right out of the gate, favorite wrestling autobiographies.
2: Um, I don't have one. I don't read anybody else's, I, I which is a mistake of my part. I'm, I know I'm being a bit of a bitch about this, but the ones I've read in the ex, not, it's not that I've sat down and read a book from cover to cover, but clearly I've read a chapter out of this guy's book or six pages out of this book, or I've been asked to respond to something that somebody wrote in their book. And so much of it is horseshit. Not all of it. You know, I really want to read Mick Foley's work because I'm beginning to appreciate Mick Foley more and more and more as every day goes by. He's a very 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 intelligent guy
1: yeah. with a very unique view of the business and and life. And I'm beginning to see and
2: I'm beginning to see more and more of that, so it makes me want to go back and read some of Mick's work. And I know that Mick wrote his own book. That's a big, another big difference. So many of the wrestling autobiographies that are out there, not all of them, I'm not throwing that wide of a net, but a lot of them are written by ghostwriters who some of them have a lot of input from the guys they're writing with. Some of them have very little, so it's up to them to kind of make shit up based on history and what they've read and what the narrative is. And some of them are just a joke. I've read some or excerpts of some. Uh, I've been asked to respond to certain things that have been written in books that are just, it's just fiction. It's like reading a (laughs) comic book. And I guess it's just turned me off to it.
3: Yeah. Uh, Dan uh, speak you've touched on this a little bit earlier in the show, but he says to eliminate so much rumor and innuendo from dirt sheets, would it be wise to credential wrestling beat reporters like any other sport during TV tapings? And allow them locker room access, hold press huh. conferences, etc. You kind of touched on it. Do you want to expound on anything here?
2: No, I mean it's a valid question, but again, you know, sports is sports. It's real. It's not scripted. Mm-hmm. There's drama behind the scenes. There's player issues. There's coaching issues. There's all kinds of issues, and that's all news. And that's what keeps the that's what keeps ESPN alive, right? Um, but wrestling is not that. Wrestling is scripted. So having reporters in the dressing room or in the locker room, what purpose could that possibly serve?
3: Right. If they do, it should be a character like they have.
2: It's No. I mean, I understand the question is a valid question. It's a good one. But you have to
1: first separate fact from fiction. And wrestling is mostly fiction. And the facts that are, are
2: there are not necessarily facts that a promoter or a company is going to want out there in a news cycle.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to say that. That's a good way to say that. Uh, Paul Sayer, who's one person in the business if you could have sat down with more and spent more time with, would you have done so?
1: Nick Bachwinkle. That was a missed opportunity on my part. I was
2: was a little too full of myself, and part of it was I was pretty busy and overwhelmed, but I really wish I would have spent a little more time talking to Nick Bachwinkle. I wish I would have developed a better relationship with Bobby Heenan that would have enabled us to have a real conversation um, about the business. That was a missed
1: opportunity on my part. Those are the two that stand out the most. Bobby Heenan and Nick Pacwa. I could have learned a lot, especially Bobby.
2: Could have learned uh, a lot.
3: Wes Gay uh, says, what was Turner like when the Braves won the World Series in 95? Did you ever cross paths? with Ernie Johnson or any of the Braves crew like that? Hank Aaron, um,
2: I, I dealt with a little bit. Um, uh, I, You know, I didn't really, I wasn't a... Braves fan, you know I, I wasn't didn't go to the games. I was excited, you know, for the city of Atlanta. I was certainly excited for Ted and Turner, um, but I wasn't like I've never been a huge baseball fan. So um, if I ran On your across side, it of didn't those...
3: change much, huh? On your side, it didn't change much. No, I mean it's separate entities, basically.
2: Yeah. Oh, much, much. Yeah, very, very, very much different. Uh, I see John Rocker once a year. John Rocker actually comes to Cody, Wyoming to play in a charity softball game every year. Really? Yeah. I just saw him a couple of months ago. He was here. I, I had, the, I don't think uh, he's changed much, dude. I think, and he's just, he looks like he could like play today. <laughs> oh,
3: I mean, he's uh, in phenomenal shape. I was going to say, I saw him. I met him once in my life, probably, I don't know, a decade to seven years ago. Uh, I used to do minor league baseball. It was the stadium announcer for the Huntsville stars. And he came down of course, to do an appearance when he had his book out. And first things when he walked in, I went, he looks like he could still take them out and strike out everybody that's on this team and the opposing team. <laughs> he looked incredible. And I don't know, such the nicest guy. He was nice to everybody around him. Talked to everybody that wanted to talk to him. Just an absolute pleasant experience around the guy. I don't, I'm, That's, that's interesting. You say the same thing, just great guy. And looks like he could go right now. No, I mean, I was, I I was just,
2: what what it was in July, end of July. He was here in Cody and we went to, uh, my wife and I and Sonny Ono and his wife, they were here as well. And we went to an MMA fight at a little auditorium here. And it was all part of that same weekend. It was all for charity. And there was an MMA fight and I was standing right behind rocker. Uh we were coming out of the restroom. So I was walking behind him and I'm looking at him from behind I'm thinking this fucker could he could probably kick the shit out of anybody in that <laughs> octagon tonight. I mean, he yeah. looks like your worst nightmare. Yeah. Like if you get Mouthy in a bar and that's the guy that comes and taps you on the shoulder, that's like your worst nightmare right there. <laughs>
3: All right, let's keep it rolling. Quincy Charles says, Eric since WCW didn't get any of the revenue from pay-per-view that went to Turner Home Entertainment. How did WCW stay on top, or do I have it half right or wrong?
2: No, that's mostly wrong. In fact, that's all wrong. (laughs)
3: Okay. Turner Home
2: Entertainment took a fee, um, a percentage off the top, and Turner Home Entertainment made the majority of the money off of home video and things like that. But pay-per-view went, after everybody took their taste, pay-per-view went directly to WCW's bottom line.
3: All right. Ryan Conley says, Eric, good, sir. What is your assessment of WWE's time on Peacock so far? Positive and negatives from a company perspective and from a consumer's perspective?
1: Um, I can't speak to the company perspective. I From reading the trades and what I know, um, which isn't a lot,
2: it seems like from a financial perspective, a windfall and a great thing from a consumer perspective. I really don't like the interface at all. It's still to this day. And I've been using it now for almost a year or whatever it's been. I still have a hard time sometimes locating what it is I'm looking for in order to watch. So it doesn't navigate all that well Mm -hmm. for me, but I'm a high tech redneck. You know, I, (laughs) you know, I, I get challenged sometimes putting batteries in a flashlight. So um, maybe it's just me, but I don't like the interface as much as I, as I liked it previously.
3: All right. We've got a handful more. We're going to get to every single person that's here. Appreciate everybody hanging with us. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, John Worthington says, Eric, I feel like you're pretty content with where you're at, but would you ever consider a return to WWE or to the new regime? That's changing week to week. Uh, but he says you have such a unique perspective of the business and so much to offer. I'd love to see you get involved again somehow.
2: Yeah, that 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 ship has sailed. Um, I am really happy where I'm at. I'm not only happy where I'm at, like I, I live in a beautiful place. I have a beautiful home. I'm in a part of the country that people all over the world travel to 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 enjoy every year. And I'm really grateful for that. But I'm more than that, I'm grateful for my peace of mind, and I'm just at a stage in my life where I don't. I hate traveling. It's not that I don't want to be involved in the wrestling business again. I don't want to ever give anybody that impression because I love the business and and I love what it's done for me and my family. And you know, I still to this day I'm being gifted things from professional wrestling. You know, meeting you and meeting Conrad and getting you know just being a part of this is. Come on, how, how is this not cool? Uh, and I'm grateful for all of that. But for me to get on a plane at this stage of my life and travel every week or, or be in the grind that I know you have to be in to, to really be involved in this business in any meaningful way, not going to happen. It's just Realistically, there's not enough. I mean, there's enough money, right? It's always enough money. But nobody's going to offer me the kind of money that it would take for me to compromise where I'm at.
3: A realistic number, yeah. No, it's not going to happen. All right, El Maximo, he's at real El Maximo. You know, no fake El Maximo here dealing with us today. says, what is your favorite line or scene in the movie Tombstone? He says, personally, mine was White Earps. You called down the thunder monologue.
2: Yeah, there's some, I mean, that movie is just it's number one, one great phrase after another it's undefeated you know val kilmer in my opinion stole that movie
3: oh yeah and
2: he had so many great lives you know one of my favorites it was he was in the bar johnny ringo was fucking with him did all the gun tricks did all the spinning (laughs) okay did all that aew gunplay shit (laughs) the flippy (laughs) shit he was doing the flippy flippy shit the flippy shit and then Val Kilmer got, his character got up and starts twirling a shot glass.
3: Incredible. <laughs> Incredible.
2: That whole scene, you know, when, when, oh. when his, what was his uh, girlfriend's name? The hooker.
3: Oh gosh.
2: I forget her now. She was great. Her, yeah. her real name was big nose. Kate. I think that was her real name, but <laughs> she was a prostitute in real life. Her name was big nose. Kate, I think. And uh, when he looks at Jenny, he goes, oh, Wow, I think I hate him. <laughs> oh, now I really hate him. Oh, he reminds me of me. Now I really hate him. I thought that was fucking It was perfect. Oh, how about, I got two guns, one for each of you. Ah,
3: ah, ah. Come on, come on. <laughs> how do you find a better line than that? Unless
2: you get to the scene where, at the, where they're at the river. And there's a big shootout at the river, and one of the guys, uh, wild herb went and shot down a bunch of motherfuckers in the river, chased them all off. One of the guys says, I've never seen anything like that. And I, I forget how the dialogue went, but it it got to the point where somebody said, Whoever it was said to, to Doc, he said,
1: Oh, what was that line? I don't want to fuck it up. It was such a good line. Well, why does he do that? Why, the oh, river? Why? Well, yeah, he got in the river and he said,
2: why'd you do that? He goes, well, Wilder is my friend. Yes. And the other guy says,
1: hell, I got lots of friends. Doc Holloway says, I don't. I don't. Oh. And it's like, wow.
2: Or how about, oh. I guess I wasn't quite as sick as I made out.
3: (laughs) How about that? There's so many quotable lines in that.
2: So many, so many. I still watch that movie about once or twice a year. Garrett and I watch it together.
3: It's the movie. If you see it all and you have to stop period. If you see it fly by your screen for some reason, you go, well, that's what I'm watching. So many great, and and the acting was
2: so good. I mean, it was such a great movie, so far ahead of its time.
3: I can't wait. Every time we hang out from now on, I'm going to look at you and say, I have not yet begun to defile myself, Mr. Bishaw.
2: I got two beers, one for each of us.
3: (laughs) All right. Let's get these in. Uh, Parts Unknown, WEL439 says, pro wrestling struggled to stay culturally relevant in the early 90s. Could an edgier product have thrived before 96? He says Nirvana was 91. Pulp Fiction was 94. Was wrestling a little late to the party with adopting an edge, or do you think it was right on time? You know, I think
2: wrestling has always been a reflection of society in a way. It's kind of almost sometimes a parody of it, but it's been a reflection of it. And as a result, I think wrestling – the nature of it and the presentation of it is kind of always followed pulp culture as opposed to leading pop culture. So I, I don't think coming out with an edgier product necessarily earlier than we did would have worked. Maybe, maybe it would have, I don't know, but I really think what
1: made WCW work, what made that era work was not so much, Edginess as it was
2: story, just making it relatable to the audience that was watching it.
1: And it, it all goes back to making the decision, because I was forced into it, making the decision to target an 18 to 49-year-old male audience, as
2: opposed to the teen and preteen audience that WWE was targeting back when I launched Nitro, because I couldn't compete with WWE. There was no way I was going to get better at targeting teens and preteens than the WWE. I, it was impossible. That, was a, that would have been a, a, a battle I would have lost within minutes, weeks. But the 18 to 49-year-old male audience was completely underserved. Nobody was touching it. So rather than competing for something that I couldn't achieve, I made the decision to change direction and appeal to a different demo and, and, and create better story in the process. That's what worked, not whether it was edgy or not. I think the story is what worked and the timing, because I think culture because of Nirvana and, and, and and not even Nirvana. And that's, I understand that reference, but, I I think our culture was leaning into the anti-hero character more so than a hero character. And that's another thing that we did effectively, but I think it was a reflection of what was going on. Not necessarily. If we would have tried to lead that charge, I don't think it would
3: last couple. Adam Arpin says when Brett came into WCW, both Bulldog and Jim Nyhart soon followed since the Hart foundation were the hottest group of Hills in WWF at the time, was there any thoughts to just keeping them together? And if you had done that, who on the WCW roster at the time could have filled the Owen spot better. Adam suggests Jericho Benoit or someone else. So let's take it first. Uh, Was there ever any thought of keeping them together? No. Okay.
2: No. And that kind of renders the last part of the question moot. You know, it's, it was never a consideration.
3: Was that because Owen wasn't there? And so, hey, no, let's just move forward. No, it's because
2: that would have been too on the nose. You know, it's okay. one thing to bring Brett in, but to bring him Brett in and then try to recreate the heart or a version of the heart foundation. Right. But by that time I learned my lesson, um, it wouldn't have worked.
3: All right. Skank Hunt 42. We've all been on one of those. Um, he says. <laughs> <laughs> he says, ask Eric if you are embarrassed to be such a hypocrite. So many similarities between the AEW management and locker room to his and WCW, but you're oblivious to it, Eric, or maybe you're not, he says.
2: No, I'm not oblivious to it. It's one of the reasons why I'm so adamant about it. It's one of the reasons why I'm so outspoken about it. It's one of the reasons why when Tony Khan, you know, when he first launched AEW kept coming out in almost every other interview I would see in social media, Tony Khan made sure to point out that he wasn't going to make the same mistakes that WCW made, you know, and that's, I'm not going to lie. It it, kind of got my attention. Perhaps made me a little defensive because, not because we didn't make mistakes. Clearly, I mean, we talk about them on this show every fucking week. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tony wasn't there. Tony didn't. Tony didn't know anything about WCW. Tony was repeating what Dave Meltzer told him or what he read in dirt sheets when he was fucking fourteen, jerking off in the corner of an ECW arena show as a little fanboy. That's what Tony Khan knew about WCW. So for him to come out and disrespect WCW in the way that he did. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't react to it. I didn't call him out on it. I even showed up on his show a couple of times when asked, and you know, I was willing to just kind of set it off to the side. and No, that's just a young guy
1: being aggressive and trying to push his product. I kind of understood it. But when
2: you, constantly are coming out and trying to get yourself over at somebody else's expense and that's what I that's how I take that when you when Tony came out and talked about how he wasn't going to make the same mistakes WCW made that's
1: pretty disrespectful especially if you weren't there and you don't really know the history and you really don't know what happened but while I'm watching Tony Khan being evicted this
2: emasculated and made into a fucking pile of poodle shit by CM punk. And this is the same guy that said he wasn't going to make the same mistakes I made. Now I'm a little hot, not because he made the statement in the first place, but because he's making bigger mistakes than I ever made because he's for a guy that made a point of not wanting to make the same mistakes I did. He's making bigger mistakes. He's making them more frequently. And he looks like he's in less control than I was when I was in the least control that I ever was in WCW. That's the part that makes me unspoken. And the part that makes me angry is I think that look, Tony's got, and it doesn't matter to me whether he inherited his money or he made his fortune, you know,
1: Developing a wobby with, I don't really give a fuck. Your money is your money. However you got it right. But
2: to see a guy making the mistakes he's making when he disrespected WCW, not just me, but a lot of people in WCW that made a lot of great shit happen. And by the way, Tony Khan, you haven't even come within a fraction of the success that WCW had when we were when we were having a difficult time, it just rubs me the wrong way. And I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed for Tony. He's investing his money. I want to see Tony succeed. I want to see AEW succeed. I want to see the wrestling. I'm excited about WWE succeeding. Not because I have a stake in it. I don't own a penny of stock. Not because I'm
1: ever going to go to work there again, but because I want to see the business succeed. And I wanted to see Tony succeed. But. But. I'm seeing him make the same mistakes Dixie Carter made, and it frustrates me.
2: And that's what I'm outspoken about. My my outspokenness is more about my frustration with Tony and 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 and, I'm say anxiety, but my concern that Tony's going to flop and blowing a great opportunity. Tony had when he launched AEW, he had so much goodwill. AEW had so much goodwill. Everybody, including myself was cheering for them to be successful. We wanted a real, when I say alternative, not just something else to watch, but I mean, something that's more exciting than the WWE to watch. And I think we all believed it was going to happen. And there was a lot of indications, even after the first six months, you know, going into the Arthur Ashe Stadium and some of the big things that they did. It was like, fuck, I'm on board. I be- I'm a believer. I was cheering them on until he started doing some really stupid shit. And still... You know, putting himself over at the expense of other people. When he came out and said, "If Ted Turner would you know half as much about booking as I do, WCW would still be in business." That statement right there is what turned me off to Tony Khan. That was so disrespectful to Ted Turner. I mean, and meanwhile, the little bitches on TNT or TBS. And he's disrespecting the guy that created the fucking network and suggesting that Ted Turner doesn't know as much as Tony Khan. I'm sorry. Your name is now on another list. I was willing, you know, disrespect me. I'm cool with that. Disrespect a lot of people in WCW that did a lot of great things and actually made your opportunity possible. Tony disrespect them. I get that. You're young. You're excited. You're pushing your product. But when he shit on Ted Turner, it's since something, is, especially when he's part owner of a fucking football team that has nothing more than a punchline. Are you fucking kidding me? Like if Tony Khan knew half as much about building a successful sports franchise as Ted Turner did with the Atlanta Braves, maybe the Jaguars wouldn't be a fucking punchline. Bam, I'm done. That's it. I cannot end a show any better than that.
3: That is the perfect way. That's why we love you, Mr. B outspoken, honest. It's why everybody wants to know your feedback on their questions. Thanks everybody for sending the questions. And thank you, Eric, for spending this time with us and answering every single one of those. We appreciate it, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you for stepping in for the big man. Who's down in Cancun on a beach. I don't sipping know. Why. Margaritas. Come on. Why. Bring it home. Big man. I Thanks, don't Cassio. know. I don't know why, Eric, but just know this: next week, your show when he's backed. Hmm. The impact of Lucha Libre from WCW. How Lucha Libre became mainstream after WCW really began pushing the product, movies, TV shows, and more. That's a great idea. Somebody should look into that.
2: Let's let's dig in.
3: Thank you for listening, subscribing, commenting, interacting with us. 83 weeks. I'm Cassio for Eric Bischoff. Thanks, everybody, for checking us out. Feed those chickens and say hi to Judy for me. (laughs) (laughs) See you, man. See you, buddy.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings
0: tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together.